Welcome to the save room, your spook haven for gaming booze and discussion. <laughs> I'm Kevin. And I am Daniel. <laughs> uh, I couldn't come up with an alternative for discussion, I'm sorry. No. Yeah, I tried. I thought disgusting, and then it just got really confusing. It, yeah, it would have been too. Yeah. You've been trying too hard. As you might have guessed, because of our stupid puns, we've got a Halloween theme this episode. Yes, because you and I are Halloween diehards. It's our favorite time of the year. Fucking diehards, dude. Ugh. We still dress up. We go We go trick or treat. No, we don't. We When's the last time you dress. dressed up for Halloween, Kevin? <laughs> Five, six years ago. Really? Yeah. What'd you dress up as? Because I was here with you five, six years ago, and I don't remember seeing you dress up as shit. Oh, then it's probably never happened in this apartment, then. <laughs> I, I can't even remember, dude. Okay. Because, um, like, my job, we always end up doing a show mm-hmm. on, like, Halloween weekend. For some reason, um, every fucking place in the world was like, Halloween's a good time to throw a convention. Yeah. Yeah, people are already dressed up, like, well, you know. <laughs> they're like, we're killing three birds with one stone. One of those birds is monetization. So we got it. Daniel, how have you been? Not too bad, bud. Feel good? Feel okay as I can feel at this hour, you know. You been playing games? Nothing new. Uh, I have a lot mm-hmm. I want to start, but yeah. you know, I'm still stuck on the Overwatch bug. And that bug mm-hmm. has recently bitten me a little bit. Yeah. I've been mean, getting back into that, uh, that ebb and flow of team comp. I mean, because we, we got the Halloween Terror event going on right now, and uh-huh. then you, you did your ranking and your placement for competitive season two. I did. And I, I dragged you along into that. You did drag me into that. And it's been okay. It's been fun. Yeah. Some, sometimes it's not fun whatsoever. Sometimes it's like uh, pulling teeth and then having those teeth replaced and mm-hmm. pulled again. Other times it's... It's exciting. It's exciting. Yeah. Like, when we're winning and we're on a good flow, like, it feels great. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> That flow, it's it's unbeatable. But then, you know, I feel like for every two matches, like, we do really well, mm-hmm. we have, like, six. Six horrible matches. I, for me, I always tell people, it us. evens out where it's like, I'll lose two, yeah. I'll, oh, I'll say, I'll win two, I'll lose four, and then I'll win two. And then it's, like, even out 50-50 by the end. Because that's what happened with us. We played, like, eight games and we lost half. Yep. So... Because I think, what did I do? I went four to six with my, my placement matches. Like, four of them. You did great, buddy. You're a hero. Six of them. You're fucking trash. And I don't know. Overwatch you... is going to fucking crash with you at the helm of it. Were you even touching the controller when you were playing this? Like, was it was it just kind of dangling out the window? What were you doing here? But we what else? I've been playing Rise of the Tomb Raider. Yeah, I'll let you borrow that. Yeah, I remember that. Because you've been waiting on that goddamn code forever. The review just, copy? From, yeah. It, I don't know what's going on. I and I just had, I bought the 20th Celebration yeah. Edition because I really fucking wanted it, and I've been wanting to play this game for like a year now, and I was like, well, I'm not going to touch it anytime soon. I just gave it to you. Yeah. And I you, mean, I surmise that, because I did write a little preview mm-hmm. about uh, the VR edition when I played it at New York Comic Con yeah. for that one website, uh, Winner's Attack. And I surmise that maybe Square Enix read it and they're like, oh, fuck you guys, you're not getting a review copy now. Because, <laughs> like, you know, I was, I want to say I was mostly positive, but I know myself, I probably wasn't mostly positive. I think I kind of glossed over it. Like, oh, yeah, it, it's it's cool up until you turn on the VR part and mm-hmm. fucking it's trash. We talked about that last episode. So I think mm-hmm. they read that and they're like, okay, cool, fuck him, fuck him, fuck him. He gets nothing. <laughs> yeah, but this kind of leads into, we have this weird, um, something came up in the news recently about, uh, Publishers trying to control marketing, essentially, and, and how kind of control the conversation and narrative about how their games are perceived and viewed, and that's one of the topics today. So remember that. Okay. Um, Me or them? 
because I'll, I'll remember it. Who, them? Them is in the listeners or the bots? In the bots. Follow us on SoundCloud. <laughs> the 13 bots that are on SoundCloud yeah. with us. Yeah, we appreciate you guys. Yeah. We do it for the bots. They're like, like they're four human <laughs> yeah. listeners. Right, they're good people, too. They are. They're great people. We love them. We do love the people that, like, listen to us, and then, like, they'll tell us and be like, yeah, yeah, you, you guys are doing pretty great stuff. And I'm always surprised, like, holy shit, like, you listen to Like, them? we get great <laughs> feedback from them. The bots, nothing. They just nothing. try and send us nudes. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like, would you like to fuck, big boy? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. So you've been playing some Resident Tomb Raider. Resident Tomb Raider, uh, playing some Overwatch. And you just uh, picked up the Ashes of Arendelle, right? Yes, I did. For uh, Dark Souls 3. For Dark Souls 3. Uh, so far, it's a little tepid, to be honest with you. Mm. It looks great. It just, it feels like one of those in-between areas, in, in, in like in Dark Souls 3, between like good boss battles. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is one of those, like, all right, I'm on the way to there. And it's kind of grueling, too, because I know it's like a shorter DLC. Yeah. So it's like... I'm going through this, you know, mountain slope, essentially, and there's this one part where you run into a wolf, and then he starts howling, and suddenly, 12 of his wolf homeboys show up and start fucking just ganking you. The wolf horde. It was horrible, and, like, the the game is, like, they're too fast-paced for how that game plays, because they're, like, smacking me about, and I'm just, like, still, like, oh, let me get my shield up. <laughs> it's fucking horrible. And then a giant wolf comes, and oh, that gets shit. wilder. And I know, like, they, they just throw this onslaught on you because they know it's shorter. Mm-hmm. They know that, like, oh, you're going to be done in, like, maybe two or three hours, so we're going to fuck you up until then. Yeah. I don't like that. Actually. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, That's kind of fucked up. A lot of the reviews I've been reading were kind of like, it's not the best. And that's sad because I heard uh, Bloodborne's DLC, which I never got around to, was apparently like the most brilliant part of that game. Hmm. And I was kind of hoping for a return to form with that, but they, they split up the DLC for Dark Souls 3 into two packs. So hmm. maybe the second pack will be the redemption. But I haven't gotten okay. through it, to be fair. I've just been getting fucked up by wolves and uh, trees that are sentient. Tree hmm. women. Tree women. Yeah, tree women that hug you to death. Hmm. It's been a thing, man. But let's get in some news, Daniel. Get some news. I feel I feel some news. Unless you had something uh, dire at me. Nothing dire. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I haven't really yeah, been man. playing much. I got to go back and finish Doom, and I want to start yeah. Rise. Um, I've been watching a lot of TV lately, and I will say what that you been I, I just finished season two of Daredevil. Oh yeah, holy shit, man! I'm I, on such a high from that. I show. hate you though. Why? Do you remember I was telling you for like <laughs> a fucking year to watch Daredevil? Like for a year, I was like, dude, yeah, just just go ahead, throw on an episode, and you just did. I don't know what it is about you where I'm like, hey man, here's a recommendation. You're like, cool, I'm gonna avoid that like the fucking plague. It's with anybody though. You have to kind of get into things on your own terms when you're ready. Like you showed me an episode when we were in Atlanta, like after yeah. one of the first nights we did for Dragon Con. Right. You found the first episode of the pilot. I was like, oh, it's really cool. It's and a year ago. Yeah, and then for some <laughs> reason, I, I was in the middle of like rewatching old shows or new quote unquote new shows that I hadn't seen all the yeah. way through like that 70s show and uh, I was just like nah it's not time yet but then I just I wanted to get into it I was like I was hearing a lot about Luke Cage okay. and there's such great like feverish reviews for it I was like I need to know what this is all about and it's great I, I've been telling like everybody I can tell that like it's Marvel's version of like Game of Thrones it's fucking incredible damn that's a that's a hearty uh, ooh I'll say it that's okay you say it yeah I don't know if it's that <laughs> just, okay, in the in the it's good. In it's terms really of good. suspense, the things that they throw at me, like there, mm. I there's a level of unpredictability with that series, which is really great. So I, I've enjoyed it, and I just came off the season finale, and I'm just like, I can't wait a year for that. You're into Jessica Jones though now, right? Yeah, I'm about like two episodes in. It's different, like totally. It's, it's a different. lot different. It's a lot different. I'm oh, intrigued yeah. by it, like because I don't yeah, know yeah. much about Jessica Jones and. Yeah. I, I see, like, David Tennant's character come in and out. I'm like, I right. don't know more about you. 
So. When they start cooking with David Tennant's character, that's when the show's at its best. Okay. Because he is one of the better villains. And I, I think through and through, they have had consistently better villains mm-hmm. on the Netflix shows than even the films have had. And of the TV shows, they are the best. I can say that, because um, like, the interplay between Daredevil and um, Wilson Fisk, amazing. Right. Amazing. And then when they bring Punisher on in season two, that's even more brilliant in a lot of ways. Oh my Because like, you're seeing like, two, best episodes. two different sides of the vigilante yeah. coin, coin and how they both handle like what they're doing. And it just it's really interesting, because like, it's never presented to you in some of the ways that they talk about it. I just don't understand how... Um, like Agents of Shield, and I forget what the other one was that they're trying to do, like a Mockingbird spinoff or something. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand how those exist in the same universe. Because I'm just like, you have these brilliant fucking shows, yeah. and then you have this really just procedural, uh, just kind of campy network mm-hmm. saturated drama that I just don't care for. And like, and people, people fucking, eat them up. Yeah. Oh my god, they 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 uh, rave about Agents of Shield. I'm like, okay, dude cool but you've seen daredevil right right like, like you know not to rave anymore <laughs> but I, like that it sets the bar so high in terms of tone yeah. and then the fact that it takes place like in the post like avengers world where like vigilantes have become a mainstay like the world mm-hmm. like feels one way or another about it and like they're here to stay more or less mm-hmm. and it's just how they fit into the world and how the world reacts to them it's fucking i don't know it's brilliant in a lot of ways it reminds me about a lot of um like alan moore's watchman and how he handles like vigilante justice and the perception of it interesting yeah Interesting. It's cool stuff. So Assessment. I'm excited to keep going Assessment. with Jessica Jones and then Luke Cage. And hmm? I don't know. Hopefully it doesn't keep me away from the game. Luke Cage was brilliant. Yeah? I mean, it, it really pitters out toward the end. I'd say, like, the last four episodes or so kind of, like, lose it for me. But the setup is great. The second act of the series, I guess, if you're considering, like, one long thing, great, too. Like, yeah, you're, you're probably going to enjoy the shit out of it. Cool. Music's great. Luke Cage is pretty great. And the villain's pretty damn good, too. And there's, like, just... Whole, the whole crime syndicate and the whole focus on on Harlem mm-hmm. in itself as an entity is fucking cool. I love it. I like that we step away from Hell's Kitchen yeah. in that one. I like that the cities also themselves are a character. Mm-hmm. Like Hell's Kitchen, like it's very much a thing, like a living, breathing thing. And then same thing with Harlem, as you said. Right. So. The, the, the comics have always been embroiled, uh, or the Marvel Universe has always been embroiled with New York. Mm-hmm. Like New York is a setting. It's not Metropolis. It's not Gotham. It's New York. It's a real thing. And I'm glad to see the TV show carry it on hmm. buddy you want me to kick the off the spooktivities let's kick this news ball out of the park man i've, I've got some spooky things on yeah. the list here you gonna scare but, my pants off? but the first one's not spooky it's only okay. spooky about how our industry is going okay now number one of the list daniel get ready you ready i'm ready okay Bethesda has announced on their website that they will only be uh, providing review copies of their games a day before their release Doom, published by Bethesda earlier this year, was sent to media outlets a day before its launch, and the company admits that decision led to speculation about the quality of the game. But, encouraged by the game's critical and commercial success, Bethesda has decided to make this method official policy. Bethesda defends this move, stating, quote, We want everyone, including those in the media, to experience our games at the same time. Despite actively enforcing a policy that makes reviewers' lives harder, the publisher assures us that they, quote, value media reviews, and that they will continue to work with media sites, streamers, and YouTubers to support coverage of their games. Big Beth says, quote, We also understand that some of you want to read reviews before you make your decision, and if that's the case, we encourage you to wait for your favorite reviewers to share their thoughts. 
Though the company has stated both Skyrim Special Edition and Dishonored 2 would follow this policy, Destructoid has pointed out certain YouTubers and streamers were allowed early copies of Skyrim way before Bethesda's embargo date. Hmm. Daniel, I have some thoughts about this. I do too. None of them are great. Uh, like I said before, it, it's Bethesda trying to control the narrative about their games and how they're viewed, mm-hmm. and they are acting like it benefits every party when in actuality it only benefits Bethesda. Mm-hmm. They're they're going after the market that can't wait for reviews, or maybe they see a little bit on a, of a streamer's footage and maybe they're mm-hmm. positive about it. And it, it's a different experience than it, and what I've. Something that I try to illustrate to people over and over again. It's cool to watch Let's Plays. That's awesome. It's cool to watch or listen to opinions from your favorite YouTubers. Mm -hmm. But it's a different experience when you get your hands on the fucking game. And that's why I love reading informed reviews because that's this person's job. They're paid to think it in a much more lateral Mm -hmm. and sometimes more analytical way than, say, someone who's trying to entertain someone on YouTube. So it's more of like viral hype versus Mm -hmm. like a thorough breakdown of a game. Exactly. In terms of everything. And... If you're not allowing reviewers the time to actually have that kind of deeper analysis put out there uh, on launch day, then yeah, people may not, they may get antsy pants and then that ends at this point. I mean, No Man's Sky was a perfect example that was like, oh, what the fuck? Reviews are taking kind of a long time. Yeah. There were uh, tons of reviews in progress for like a week yeah. or two. Yeah. And I, I've been reading a lot of things from a lot of media outlets. Uh, Game Informer had a very. Uh, thoughtful approach to it where they said basically what's going to happen is that a lot of reviewers are going to uh, rush through these games. They're going to rush through reviews and maybe not give you a comprehensive look at a game just because well they need, that's their business. They need to have that article up first. It needs to be up there because you get the click throughs and you get the advertising money and that's how you sustain these people's jobs. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, that's how it works and Bethesda is kind of just ripping the, the rug away from them that way. Well, what do you think about this? Because well, I hate this. I hate it, too. And I think it's... I mean, it's their call at the end of the day, but I seem like it's a, it's a little unfair. You know, mm-hmm. this has been an industry standard for... I don't even know how long to have early release copies and give these journalists and reviewers a chance to thoughtfully put their input into a game and, and regurgitate it back to us in a way that can make us help us make informed decisions. So what do you think this is? Do you think it's more of that they really wanted a stronger marketing ploy or do you think they were burned in a lot of ways by like other publications or journalists? I mean, uh, when you say burned, I mean if, if they got negative criticisms, mm-hmm. then boo hoo! That that that's the whole point of critical right. reviews. That's yeah. not necessarily what I mean. Um, I mean to say a set like Kotaku. I think I remember reading something on their website about how they basically lost all contact with Bethesda. They were blacklisted. They were blacklisted because I guess they leaked something early, whether it was like information about a game or or something like that. I don't remember what it was. So they were blacklisted and they lost that opportunity to do early releases. So do you think this is them kind of just... Well, they they lost access to all uh, press access, press anything, press uh, emails. They, 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 they were blacklisted completely. And yeah, of course, early copies were another thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that uh, this is a specific retaliation to that. I don't think so because that's more on the production side. Okay. What they hate is uh, having like you know their reveals uh, be messed up in that way. This is more about day one kind of uh, launch day criticisms. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is like the first... This is them putting a bulletproof vest on them against any kind of ne- negative criticism that can impact... A purchaser's decision, mm-hmm. and that's what they want. They want to stave that off for like another week, essentially, while people are scrambling to make a review. Mm-hmm. People are buying up the game and finding out for themselves. Oh, this is a fucking turd sandwich. I, I wish I waited for a review, but those people aren't, and you already got their sixty bucks, and 
there you go. <laughs> like, that's done. You know, you, you can't return it. Unless you really, really cry, like in that No Man's Sky situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't like it. Like I said, it's another ploy on their part to control the narrative of how their games are perceived. Mm-hmm. And it, it just doesn't seem fair. Like it doesn't. It's, I, I know one thing that I've heard, um, I think on Colin and Greg Live today, mm-hmm. uh, Colin was talking about how other publishers have been actively already doing this. They just haven't outright said it like Bethesda has. Okay. Like 2K Games has done that from time to time where they mm-hmm. withhold uh, or they have put an embargo on games pretty much day before or launch day. That This has happened before, obviously. And, yeah. And traditionally how we're supposed to view that is like, oh, there might be something wrong with the game <laughs> at that point. Yeah, because I remember this happened back in um, May with yeah. Doom where mm-hmm. we thought there was something wrong with it. Right. And there wasn't anything wrong with it. It was a fantastic game. Right. Um, and then, well, then Mafia 3 did the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't to a different good. effect, yeah. To a different effect. Wasn't quite fantastic. And tra- it, historically, I mean to say, historically, a game that has that kind of embargo, yeah, it's very problematic. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to hide that fact. Um, I My fear is that other publishers are going to follow suit completely and be like, yeah, you know what? We're going to come out there and say the same thing. We're gonna we're gonna do the same thing. Yeah, fuck reviewers, whatever. But it's like to damage that relationship. I, I've always said, gaming journalism should not be beholden beholden to a publisher or developer's marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. Never, they're journalists. Don't forget that. But there is a certain uh, kind of back and forth. Like gaming sites promote your game. They get excited about your game, and they yeah. they put a spotlight on that game. And I just think they're going to start damaging relationships if we see enough publishers try to go this route. So it might be a shakeup. It might be a huge shakeup, but at the same time, it might be a push toward uh, what it seems like they're trying to funnel to YouTube and streamers mm-hmm. who are, by and large, more positive about these games, more excitable about yeah. these games. They're not. They're not exactly going to go out there and fucking level a game, especially if Bethesda comes like let's say two weeks early, like we're hearing in this fucking case, mm-hmm. which I don't think it's two weeks early, but they're coming early to these streamers going like, here's a copy of Skyrim Remastered. Play it and show it off to your uh, your your fan base. Mm-hmm. And that's free promotion. And, you know, dude, that's how they live. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they get subscribes and likes. And it's just like, yeah, they're not going to fucking just outright be like, oh, this sucks. Yeah, thanks for giving me yeah. uh, early, but fuck you. And it's no, more no, of a no, visual no. representation and a display of what the game can do in its engine right. and what they put into it as opposed to an abstract review where you're just kind of reading words that's picking apart for better or worse. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. No. I'm, I'm with you on this one. I feel kind of sour about it. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily think that it's going to drive day one sales any more than having early reviews. I think people, if they're going to want to buy the game day one, they're going to do it. And if they want to wait, they're going to wait for these reviews to come out a week later and then they're going to make the informed decision. I just hate that that was such a just a just an arrogant little remark. Like, yeah, I understand some of you like to read reviews before you buy games. You fucking idiots. Go ahead and wait for them if you want. I'm just like, you know what? We should speak with our dollar. No more pre-orders. I try to tell people all the time: don't fucking pre-order a game. Mm-hmm. It means nothing for you. It doesn't benefit you. It only benefits the retailer and the publisher. Mm-hmm. That's it. Not you. Just because you're getting a skin pack, fuck that shit, man. But they're later gonna patch in anyway. Fuck that shit just say it out loud be like dude this this system should go away it doesn't make sense so and then another thing and i know this is a hard one especially for me because i i do this all the time stop buying games day one don't buy a game day one i know you like to be an active proponent in the game industry because it's like Mm -hmm. your lifeblood and you like to be a part of the conversation but sometimes you have to like wait to pull the trigger on sometimes it's better to just take a step back and i think 
uh, especially the way that the gaming industry is going. We talked about in the last episode in that are AAA games sustainable. Um, I think this is we're starting to see the cracks, and we need to take a step back and start voting with our dollar and start just going like, you know what, we're going to wait to see how this fucking game turns out. Mm-hmm. Fuck your embargoes, fuck everything that you're trying to do, fuck your promotion, fuck your YouTube videos, fuck your paid for shit, fuck it. Let's see if the game's good or not. <laughs> That's it. That's fair. Number two on the list, Daniel. Frictional Games announced their Hide in the Dark or Be Torn Apart series of horror games, Amnesia, is coming to PlayStation 4 next month. The Amnesia Collection will feature Amnesia, The Dark Descent, and its lesser-known expansion, Justine, as well as the Chinese Room-developed sequel, Amnesia, A Machine for Pigs. Frictional has released an FAQ on their website about the collection, revealing that each port will look and sound exactly like their PC counterparts, although they admitted we may have to settle for 30 frames per second on a machine for pigs due to technical issues. (laughs) The collection will not be VR-compatible now or even down the line because the games would require too much restructuring. Also, Frictional would love to bring their cerebral horror hits to Xbox eventually but are focusing only on PS4 because of their familiarity with the platform. The Amnesia Collection launches digitally on November 22nd for $29.99. PS Plus members will benefit from a 10% discount. You excited for this? I've never played Amnesia. Yeah, me neither. uh, We'll talk more about horror games later because, you know, shocker, that's our topic. Um, But I've always been kind of weird about, like, the whole defenseless genre of horror games where you can't fight back and all that because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a child of Resident Evil. But... They look interesting, and they have this Lovecraftian vibe to them, and I especially heard that A Machine for Pigs by the Chinese Room is is a standout title, so I'm kind of excited for that. And it's pretty fucking cheap for three games, 30 bucks. Yeah. Actually, it's like, what, it's going to be three bucks off. Awesome. Cool. Love it. Going to get it. Are you going to get it? I might. <laughs> I, li- I like it. We should wait for reviews. Yeah, we should wait for the reviews. <laughs> we should wait for the streamers on this one. <laughs> we should wait for our favorite streamers. Even though these games have been out for Potter fucking years. Play it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. All right, well, number three, Daniel. Behavior Interactive is finally giving gamers a chance to live through the night he came home. Halloween's Michael Myers is coming to the PC multiplayer slasher Dead by Daylight as a new playable killer. But a killer is just a jabroni in a mask, unless he has a victim. Adding to the game's roster of playable survivors is the estranged and endangered sibling herself, Laurie Strode. The DLC pack includes a brand new environment to fly or die in, a level based on the infamous town of Haddonfield. The content, priced at $6.99, releases this week just in time, wait for it, for Halloween. That's a cheap add-on. Yeah, it looked pretty cool, actually. Um, I've seen gameplay of this game, and... It looks really exciting and terrifying in a lot of ways. I want it to come to consoles. Bring it to consoles. Yeah. That's that's how you become relevant PC creators of the world. Mm-hmm. Put it on a console, you some bitches. Good no, time. No, I love you PC guys. It's fine. I mean, not really. I don't love you. I'm okay with you. I feel the same way I do about you as like uh, maybe maybe like a, like a big dog. Like I'm kind of threatened by it, but I respect you and I won't fuck but with you. But you want to pet it at the same time. I want to pet you. I want to be a part of your world. But I know I'm going to get bit. It's got weird. So, yeah, it did get a little weird. So imagine this in this uh, fictional, uh, another fictionalized town of Haddonfield. How this is gonna play out? So is, is Michael Myers basically gonna fucking hunt you down with his butcher knife and then put you on a hook? <laughs> basically, yeah. actually, I was reading on the website. He has like uh, specialized powers. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he has this like stare down maneuver. Like the longer that he uh, uh, looks at his victim, the stronger he gets. Does it paralyze you in a way? 
did, no, I don't know if it has an effect on his victims, but he is stronger. Hmm. So like in the movie, you know, he's doing that stare down, he's hiding behind the clothesline, yes. and he's like, <laughs> you know, oh yeah. Can't whistle. You can't whistle? I can't do that, the <laughs> exhale whistle. I have to do like an, an inhalation whistle. <laughs> so it's all that beard hair, my guy. There we go. Yeah, it's a little weird. I gotta work on it. You're getting it. That's cool. Well, I think this game looks better than that Friday the 13th game we talked about last week or week two weeks ago or something. Yes. I think so, I think too. it's cool. So, But bring it to consoles or we won't care. Anyway, number four, Daniel. And this is as reported in the LA Times, just for uh, full disclosure. Okay. That's just for you, buddy. And our 15 bot listeners. After a breakdown in negotiations between several high-profile video game publishers and SAG-AFTRA, which stands for the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, basically voice actors, Daniel, nearly 350 members of the union took to forming a picket line around EA's Playa Vista headquarters on Monday. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, my voice acting chops are <coughs> chopping up. Oh, we gotta get Nolan North to stand in for you this week. It would be Troy Baker. <laughs> it would be Troy Baker. This Could you imagine if they like subbed in for us for a week and like we had Nolan North and Troy Baker in our living room? Yes, they would have to get used to the idea of like not being listened to. <laughs> <laughs> the strike is a result of voice actors petitioning for residual-like payments based on a game's performance, safer work environments, especially in regards to projects that require strenuous motion capture performances, and the disclosure of which titles actors are working on before they sign on for the job. A number of compromises have been outlined by the 11 gaming companies looking to resolve the matter, though none have satisfied the union thus far. Companies are willing to disclose a game's code name or working title, but say budging any further would give competitors an unfair advantage. In regards to compensation, companies like Activision Blizzard and Take-Two Interactive have proposed a 9% wage increase and an upfront payment of as much as $950 per game based on how many sessions an actor performs. SAG-AFTRA... Oh, scroll down. SAG-AFTRA is instead, uh, instead seeking a bonus structure that allots payments for every 2 million copies or downloads sold, capping at 8 million sales. Companies have argued this is fundamentally unfair to programmers and designers who put in far more man hours into a project without being compensated based on a game's performance. The Voice Actors Union argues that publishers are simply afraid of a residual structure because, as actor Jennifer Hale illustrates, it opens up a can of worms of sharing prosperity. SAG-AFTRA plans on engaging video game publishers and developers not embroiled in the negotiation in order to build a groundswell of support for their cause. What's your read on this, man? What you got? Do I think they deserve to be credited as much as, like, producers mm. and programmers mm. and coders? Not necessarily. Do I think they deserve to have, like, rights protected and maybe get royalties in a way? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure, why not? You know? I mean, they put that voice work into the game. They've been credited in a way. So, why not? To put a cap on it? I don't know about that. Right. Seems a little unfair. What do you mean in regards to, like, residual payments? Do mm-hmm. you think they should, yes. should get, like, a share of the profits? Like, is that... Not a share of the profits, but at least get royalties, right. you know, from any Royalty? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, there's some good points made on both sides. Uh, I remember reading, or I think it was an interview online, I think Phil Lamar was with it. Like, you know Phil Lamar, he's on fucking Futurama and a bunch of shit. He's in, like, every goddamn game ever, apparently. And they were talking about how uh, one actor walked into a session, was not told beforehand that it would be Mm -hmm. mo-capped, and he had a back injury, and he still did the job and ended up further injuring himself. Mm -hmm. 
and there was, you know, there's no one apparently supervising. They tell them it's fine, go ahead, mm-hmm. you know, and they make these dudes work long hours. And like, I get that. Like, that needs to change. And we've talked before, like, there's a lot of things in the gaming industry that just haven't been standardized, normalized, unionized. Yeah. Like, that there, there isn't safety measures and there's not, you know, fair play involved in a lot of these problems. Um, I think on a base level, <laughs> if you've been contracted to do a mm-hmm. job, you should at least know what the project is going into it. Right. To have some sort of readiness. And, like, in that case, like, if you do have a back injury and you know you're going into a mocap situation, maybe come back another week and do it, you know, when you feel a little better. I think uh, what publishers are trying to say is that some of these actors are trying to figure out what game it is Mm -hmm. in order to, like, you know... Determine if they want the job or not. If it's a big enough game where it's like, well, I'm only going to start doing, like, Gears of War and Halo because if, let's say, the residual pays go through, Mm -hmm. well, I know that's going to pay out bigger than trying to do, like, you know the next amnesia game, you know, essentially. I think one argument that, that seems pretty salient is, well, are you saying that you deserve more money than programmers and designers? And I think that's an easy thing. And like here you're like, yeah, you know what? Fuck, these guys are making the whole game. Mm-hmm. You, you didn't have any hand in it. I was like, okay, that's easy to say that, but that almost just seems to indict yourselves. Like, oh, well, you don't pay your own people fairly. Yeah. Good on you for bringing that point up. <laughs> Like, so it's like everything needs to change behind the scenes. You know, we're hearing that they're working fucking horrible. They're doing this to the designers. We talked about this last week mm-hmm. in the AAA episode that lasted for 10 years. And they fucking are running these people into the ground. So it's like, I feel like the entire structure it needs, to be. needs to change. Yeah. You know, but uh, since they are a part of the guild already, they were allowed to strike. You know, mm-hmm. like the union said, oh yeah, you're absolutely within your rights. And hmm. it's like designers and, and a lot of these guys are freelance or whatnot. They can't. They don't have a union to go to and mm-hmm. I think that's that needs to be a spotlight on there too. But I, I hope things um So what are the what are some out. of the big names behind the strike? You said Jennifer Hale. Hmm. Jennifer Hale, um well I, honestly I don't know who's associated with SAG after mm-hmm. like there, there's maybe some actors that aren't and I have heard that uh, there's companies that have already like resolved issues with them, so mm-hmm. they're not a part of like like they said. That's not they're not a part of the negotiations. They're not part of the eleven companies that are fighting against uh, their demands. So mm-hmm. I I'm not sure who's a part of it, but um, that's a lot of <laughs> publishers that are just like no, yeah, fuck you, <laughs> you know. And I think they're right. It does scare them that idea of like, oh, you you think you're gonna get residuals off of our fucking billion dollar games? Nope. Fuck out of town. There's some instances, I think, where um, voice actors are more integral mm-hmm. in the creative process, um, but that's not always the case. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to downplay I'm not gonna, Their efforts or contributions, they, they are a part of the experience. They mm-hmm. make the game. Do you think The Last of Us would have been a, half as brilliant if those performances sucked or if they weren't mo-capped? Yeah. Yeah, Troy Baker's fucking brilliant. Ashley Johnson was brilliant. The other people not named Ashley Johnson and Troy Baker were also brilliant. <laughs> but... Yeah, the, this is a weird one to get apart. Like, I don't know exactly the ins and outs, mm-hmm. and I don't know. Like, I think the the issue that they're running into is that they're comparing it to, like, the film industry or TV. Yeah. And they're trying to, like, you know, kind funnel, of... Funnel the same arguments the way they do with those. Exactly, toward games. video games. And video games, you know, in a lot of ways is still kind of the Wild West. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, no, you ain't doing that to us, you know? Because it's a tech industry. It's so much different than that. It is a tech industry that happens to be in the entertainment business. Yeah. So that's that weird fusion where it's like, no, 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 we're going to treat you like programmers and all like that. You don't, you don't come at us about union and shit. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a tough one. I like to see how it plays out. Um, apparently a lot of this shit has been boiling. For the last year, they've been going through these negotiations. So, mm-hmm. And uh, we'll see what happens, dude. Best of luck to everyone involved, honestly. Yeah. 
I, I hope there's a compromise that uh, benefits both parties. Honestly, yeah. that that that's the hope I want for. Because I don't want to be like, oh fuck these big corporations. Like, no, nah, I don't want to be like that. No. Except Bethesda. Fuck you, dude. <laughs> but it would suck to see these voice actors um, <clears throat> lose jobs and opportunities or be blacklisted from working, you know, with other companies because they went on strike and tried to protect their own rights. That would suck too. That would suck. That would suck a, that a lot. I think that that's a very <clears throat> that's a tone deaf move mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I'm gonna move on here, buddy. Sure. <clears throat> Losing my voice a little bit here. I blame you. You're looking at me. Why do you blame me? I don't, we've I don't been know. yelling at each other across the apartment for the past few for days. For a while, yeah. Yelling about team comp and, and kills. And <laughs> it's all you. Number five, vision. Daniel. GameStop will now be accepting trade and say, there you go again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't edit that out. I'll auto tune you. This is the humanity that we need in these episodes. Anyway, number five. GameStop will now be accepting trade-ins for retro games at every one of its retail locations. The video game Monopolizer originally limited retro trades to a handful of stores in specific areas, but is now open to receiving consoles, controllers, and cartridges of the vintage variety at each one of their stores. Additionally, their online catalog of retro games available for purchase has, has expanded to the Sega Saturn, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, GameCube, and Xbox Original. Our thoughts, and, our thoughts and prayers go out to the underpaid college students now expected to deal with hundreds of tangled cords, faulty RF adapters, limp N64 joysticks, moldy game cartridges, consoles filled with roach eggs, cracked jewel cases, water damage manuals, dead VMUs, gummy shoulder buttons, missing expansion packs, copies of Pokemon that can't save anymore because the internal battery kicked, mystery cards because your little brother ripped off the sticker art, and assholes telling you that blowing on the bottom of the cart definitely <laughs> makes it work when it definitely fucking doesn't. Nope. It's all about the pins. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That was good. There was a little bit of resentment from my time working at a, play a, trade, a mom and pop yeah. store. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say mom and pop. You're like playing trade. Just, just say it, man. You're like playing trade a veto. I can give you the address. Yeah, it's not why there you anymore. Them? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's not there anymore. No, no. It, it, I, you know, it's not a good market. <laughs> it's the retro game market, unfortunately, unless you're on eBay, and apparently. The biggest retailing monopoly just took over the yeah. <laughs> market too, but a lot of the prices I, I saw on the website for like some of these retro games are fucking horseshit. Some of them are like original pricings. Did you have what the fu- like? Uh, I saw copies of like Resident Evil Two for fifty. No, dude. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you mind? For what? Wait, wait for what? For uh, PS One? I'm sorry, Resident Evil. I should have stated Resident Evil Two for N64. Yeah, it's kind of rare. Gold cartridge editions yeah, of yeah. like Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask up there. Up there? Yeah, 50, up 60. There. Yeah, yeah. I saw like 55 bucks for like Smash Brothers. Mm-hmm. God damn, dude. You can walk into a swap shop and get that game for like 30 bucks. Yes, you can. I would say 30 is the optimal price for Smash Brothers. How do you remember how much we paid for these games back in the day? It was like 50. It was like 50. It was 50. Mm. Yeah. SNES was when it was weird because like literally games could have been like seventy five bucks or a hundred bucks. Really? Oh yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah yeah yeah. I had no concept of like cost back then because I wasn't buying them. They were just brought to me. I remember there being some controversy because Donkey Kong Country was like up there in price, hmm. like in the sixties, and people were like, "What the fuck? So this should be forty bucks." <laughs> but I remember PS two generation like forty fifty was pretty much normal. That's when it became standard. Yeah, I remember because I remember distinctly getting Devil May Cry two for fifty bucks. Mm-hmm. 
it's amazing that we forget these things, you know. But it was such a big deal, like when uh, we. And now there. the industry standard has been at a medium of like sixty bucks. Right, sixty is. I mean, like a lot of these prices weren't adjusted. So I'm saying like seventy five bucks back in the day for like an SNES game. Mm. God damn, dude, yeah. it's like one hundred and seven bucks or something like that right now. I don't know. I'm pretending I know what inflation does. <laughs> <laughs> but fuck. That's, you don't know anything about economy. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, um, you told me about this, and yeah, what's up? it wasn't like news to me in any way, but it's cool to see no. the way that they've um, expanded. No, because um, the GameStop you were working at was already doing it. Yeah, they were which I, I didn't know. I mean, they don't sell them at store, though. No, it, it's all shipped out to like the warehouse in Texas or wherever yeah. it is. And Great they, fun. They, they repurpose them yeah, yeah, yeah. and they sell them through the store. Um, I ended up bringing like a GameCube, some games, and like some PS2 and N64 games. And at the time, like, did you get rid of the GameCube? Yeah. Oh yeah. well, you have a Wii. Yeah, exactly. Still, I like the shape of it. What did you yeah, do? I kind of I have a lot of pangs of regret. How over much it. did they give you for the GameCube? It was like thirty. They give you thirty for it? Yeah, that's impressive. It wasn't bad. I mean, that's impressive because like when I worked in Play and Trade, we would sell it for thirty. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's credit though. I miss it. That's their game bucks. Yeah, fake bucks. But at the time, like they wouldn't take some of the PS2 games. They wouldn't take some of the the N64 games. I was yeah. trying to pawn off like Madden 2000 or. Courtside yeah, with uh, Kobe Bryant. Like, just we, games I was trying to get rid of. <laughs> we had a rule to play and trade. I worked at this place like four years ago, right? I worked there and we, we started mandating a rule where originally, like, uh, so Xbox games, like, and I, mean, I do mean like Xbox original. original games, like, literally most of them, if they weren't Halo or some rare ass, I don't know, I couldn't even remember what a rare game on that console was anymore because none of them were very rare. I think like Call of Cthulhu or some shit like that. Like, we'd be like, oh, yeah, we'll give you $5 in credit for that one. But we would mandate, like, all of them are, like, five cents. Five cents credit. Shit. Yeah. Sports games, you get a, you get one cent. Wow. Like, like we're doing you the, the, the disposal fee. <laughs> Essentially. If somebody offered me, like, a cent for a game, I would just keep it at that point. I, whatever. But we'll see. But like I said, I I, did, I dealt with everything that I wrote here, I dealt with personally. I know. I felt the pain in every The word. roach eggs were the worst, dude. Uh, when I like I, they brought in an NES and like I because you would do system repairs so you'd have to open yeah. up a lot of those yeah consoles. yeah because I would replace pin sets on original Nintendos and you would get in there with the fucking Phillips head and go to town and when you open it it's like opening up like the Ark of the Covenant fucking like <laughs> it, it blinds you and there's cobwebs everywhere it's fucking horrible and here's something that I learned in the course of that job bugs stink and bugs stink like saliva almost they have a very distinct stink. Okay? And so when I smelled that immediately, I was like, I'm not fucking touching this. And I was like, y- y- you can take this back, dude. I didn't say it like that. Like, I'm not fucking touching And I was just like, uh, yeah. sir, I-, I don't think I can take this as a trade. He's like, well, what's wrong? I was like, I, I-, I-, like, I tried to explain, like, I smell bugs. And he's like, you smell bugs? Like, I-, I have a sense for it. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, it's defective? And I was like, no, sir. <laughs> <laughs> you misinterpret my words. Not defective, sir. I mean to say that I believe there are bug eggs in this. And, like, as we're talking... A little baby roach crawls out of the goddamn no. thing and walks on the glass no, counter. So vile. And he was quitsies right there. He was just like, all right, dude. <laughs> you got yeah. me there, buddy. You got me there. He's like, I, I can't argue. <laughs> he fucking took it. It was horrible. So yeah, good luck uh, on the GameStop front. How do you even have the time to do this? Or, or is retail declining that badly where you got time to take in fucking cords after cords of cords? I think with those, we just defect them. We don't even bother to test them. So really? We, we so just, just go straight to Grapevine for yeah. uh, repurposing? Ooh. That's actually way better than we were doing because yep. we had to like fucking fix it up at the store, clean it, get that weird yellow tarnish off. Which, by the way, for you Floridians out there, when your Super Nintendos turn that golden 
cornbread color. That is because of humidity. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I figured that one out. Because I was like, you want you up north are still gray. I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> we have this yellow sticky residue that just won't come off for yeah. some reason. Yeah, we, we can have a whole discussion in the next episode about horrible things I've seen in the retro market. Absolutely. Huh. Let's just do a separate podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't blow on your cards. Yeah. Daniel, take it away from me. Taking the wheel here, buddy. I'm going to open with a spectacular bit of my own. Kind of, in a way. Kevin. Stranger Things director to be helming the new Uncharted film. Do you know about that? What the fuck? Yeah, man. According to CNET's Richard Trenholm, the long-anticipated Uncharted movie is to be directed by Stranger Things director and executive producer Sean Levy. According to the site, quote, Deadline reported on Tuesday that Sony is planning to fast-track the movie with Stranger Things executive producer Sean Levy in charge. Levy directed episode three, Holly Jolly, and episode four, The Body, of Stranger Things, which are inarguably my two favorite ones. They're fucking phenomenal. Those two episodes. I believe Um, you. And he is known for such Hollywood fame for his work behind the camera on such films as Night at the Museum, The Internship, Real Steel, you know the one with the fighting robots. Real Steel wasn't bad. (laughs) Date Night, and of course, the 2006 Pink Panther movie. Joe Carnahan, who is known for The Grey, starring Liam Neeson and Smoking Aces. He must have been cheap. And David O. Russell, known for Three Kings, American Hustle, Silver Lines Playbook, and The Fighter, were previously rumored to be attached to the film. While there are no additional details in terms of casting or crew, this has to be an exciting prospect for Sony to bring such a well-received and popular gaming franchise to the silver screen. But will Levy handle the film well enough is what begs to be asked. The Uncharted games are known for their strong narratives, action sequences, interplay between characters, and impressive uh, sceneries. And Levy, no doubt, proved that he is adept with handling shifting narratives, capturing the metamorphosis of characters, capturing intimate sceneries, and capturing moments of tension, suspense, and climax from behind the lens. It's too early to tell if the film will suffer from the same pitfalls of such Sony films' properties as Tomb Raider, but let's hope that Nathan Drake and his crew don't tumble headlong into the same disastrous fate that Laura did. Tumble like that. I like what you're doing. Yeah. This is kind of cool. I don't know him from really anything, even though like I read off all those movies. He fucking lost me at Pink Panther. I was just like, oh, this but, guy's cheap. Because yeah. you know who made Stranger Things brilliant? It was the Duffer Brothers. The Duffer Brothers, yeah. Yeah, that's their baby. This guy's just a fucking behind-the-lens sort of dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, He's I, just a producer, and he, for yeah. me, he directed two of my favorite episodes from the series. Yeah. So the things that he did really made me excited to watch the rest. I'm always going to give... Uh, a director or artist the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. I'm not excited at the prospect of an Uncharted film I'm not either because I don't really dig on <clears throat> video game movie franchises I don't know name yeah name me a good one that wasn't animated yes I'm hard pressed dude you're like that what, what was the animated one do you uh, mean like a CG movie yeah like a CG one because we're gonna we were gonna save this for uh, episode uh, uh, nine but uh, are we Oh, yeah, we're going to save it. It was the entire topic. You remember? <laughs> the best video game adaptation ever. Oh, okay. Final Fantasy Spirits Within. <laughs> God, it's you, so you, bad. Go ahead. Go to any Walmart. It's there. At it's the bottom there. of the bin. Seven bucks. <laughs> Five bucks in some states. <laughs> Fucking clap. You know, I'm starting to see why Square Enix wouldn't send me a review copy. <laughs> <laughs> we just shithouse on them. Maybe they heard um, our most disappointing games when I heard me shit on Final Fantasy 13. That's got to be it. I actually have very good things to say about 15, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> But, um, nah, whatever. I, David O. Russell would have been cool for the job, but I, I hear he's just a notorious fucking dick. Yeah, I feel like the, either either of those two names would have been good, because I feel like the, mm-hmm. the movies that they had beneath their belt are more, like, in line with this. Yeah. Whereas, like, to have directed, like, rom-coms and weird, like, you know, hokey adaptations of Pink Panther just doesn't seem like a 
it doesn't look like he'll fit as much. But yeah, but who's gonna be Nathan Drake is the question because some the name that was swimming around the most, especially mm-hmm. when O. Russell was doing it, was Mark Wahlberg, which is a Wahlburger size mistake. <laughs> if you ask, me. a double stacked Wahlburger. And point in fact, Max Payne. Just watch Max Payne. And be like, yeah, don't, 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 don't give him this. <laughs> don't let him do it, please. I mean, he tried the the kind of Nathan Drake archetype in fucking Transformers Four. He's the most boring part of that film, hmm. and that's a boring movie. Yeah, I got to tell you, I don't, I don't, oh, did not There's appreciate. Enjoy about that. Didn't appreciate all eighteen straight hours of that film. Hmm. Or what felt like it anyway. I don't. I don't know who it would be. I would prefer like a newer face. I wanted Nathan Fillion. That would be perfect, actually. He's getting up there in the years, kind of. Shit. He's getting big. I mean, I don't mean fat. He's just people's faces naturally enlarged. They do. <laughs> the gout. Yeah. <laughs> the celebrity gout. <laughs> the camera gout. So we'll see how this one uh, develops. Mm-hmm. Next bit here: Civilization Six to be part of the esports scene. <laughs> Go, no, go. no, 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 no. <laughs> we, we don't know anything about Civilization, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to... I hear it. it's very good. It got great reviews. I hear it's, it's very good. difficult, too. It's, yeah, right on, man. Okay. I'm just imagining a bunch of, like, middle-aged dudes in eSports <laughs> wearing those fucking, like, polyester shirts coming up on stage. It's like, I'm doing this for my baby girl. <laughs> and then two hours later, they're just building a yeah. Civilization towards world domination. Yeah, yeah. That's got to be the most boring thing to watch. I don't know. Okay. We'll see how it goes. But... According to PCGamer.com, it was announced last week that the major esports organization Team Liquid will be attempting to bring Civilization VI to the competitive scene. The CEO for Team Liquid, Steve Liquid112, R. Hansett, wrote on the organization site that he got a start in the competitive scene with Civilization games and that Civ IV made him considering, consider pursuing the esports scene more seriously. And Hansett writes... Quote, it was through competing in Civ 4 at the highest level that I found confidence to jump into the world of esports and leave behind my job in the world of finance. End quote. While going on to talk about the virtues of the competitive nature of civilization. He goes on to say that Mr. Game Theory will lead the team. Quote, Mr. Game Theory is a former world sh- uh, champion Civ player who achieved the rank of number one in the Civilization uh, Revolution leaderboard, Civ 4 and uh, five international leagues. Heels are for most 1 verse 2, 1 verse 3, 1 verse 4, and 1 verse 5 victory ladders in Civ 4. Mr. Game Theory wrote... Quote, participating in the competitive civilization community with Steve Arnhassett has been one of the greatest joys of my life. After we won our first civilization championship cup back in 2007, with a team so small that we could barely participate, I learned that a dedicated group of friends can accomplish the seemingly impossible. Civilization remains the most complicated game in the world, and I am thankful to be part of an organization capable of taking on the challenge. End quote. Team Liquid will host a series of tournaments to find the most exceptional players in the community and will announce two more players to the team on October 29th. Now, if you guys don't know, Civilization is a turn-based, 4X strategy-based game built around players controlling an empire as they explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate, all while overtaking rival empires. Players lead a small civilization from the phases of early settlements through millennia to become a world power and achieve victory through means of military power, technological superiority, and diplomatic control, all while working with and against rival factions to achieve world dominations. The esports scene is such an exciting new beast with potential for much growth, and it'll be interesting to see how this game takes the scene, considering how long and grueling the matches have known to be. I'm actually looking up like what what the gameplay of Civ Six right now. Um, it looks for it's not my ilk. It's not mine either. But I I I, I cling to this one because I think it's interesting to see the way the esports scene is kind of growing and burgeoning as new games get introduced to it. Like, yeah, you can have competitive shooters, you can have Super Smash Brothers, but now we're seeing games right. like Splatoon, and we're seeing Civilization, like, just hard desktop, like, strategy games. Like, that's cool. Um, 
am I going to fucking tune in to a major network to watch like an esports like tournament for it? No, but do you think we're way past the point of having like competitive Guitar Hero in the esports scene, like MLG Guitar Hero? At this point, it's yeah. too far gone. You think it's you think it's just it's just dead? It's yeah. gone. It, yeah. That game has been left to karaoke bars and arcades. not even karaoke bars. Are like karaoke's just fine. <laughs> Don't need these fucking baby guitars laying around. That's sad. Because I, I, you know, I think I would uh, I'd be able to cut some teeth there. I think so. I think you make some bills. I think I could make some bills. Make some bills, oh, man. Lord. <laughs> lose my job <laughs> all right moving on two fans are recreating Link's awakening in the same engine as ocarina of time sons of bitches if it's any tell of the franchise's legacy and how hardcore fans are over it two legend of zelda fans are doing an homage in a huge way creator ty anderson and youtube slash composer lege g underscore g are combining their efforts to pen a 3d love letter to the game boy classic uh, Game Boy Color Classic Link's Awakening. Entitled Link's Awakening 64, the two are aiming to recreate Link's Awakening using the same engine for the N64 smash hit Ocarina of Time. The recreation features a story that mirrors the original games as well as adding some, some more supplemental bits from Link's Awakening manga. Anderson at this point is working on the game for over a year with Ledge G underscore G adding fresh compositions inspired by the game's original melodies on his YouTube channel. You can check out gameplay footage on the official uh, Facebook page uh, it's called Ty Anderson's Euro Zelda Project, Link's Awakening 64. While at this point it might not astound many with its graphical potential, it is a sight to see the Game Boy Color game reimagined in the way that many first fell in love with Ocarina. Right. I'm sure many fans have w- wanted to see retelling a remake of this game as well, so it's definitely a cool take on it. Personally, there was something for me that was really exciting about seeing that version of Link roam around in 3D, interact with the inhabitants of uh, Koholint Island, be chased by chain chomps, fuck around with Goombas, and search for the eight instruments needed to awake the island's wind fish so you can escape the island. Chain chops and Goombas? Yeah, there were a lot of, like, Mario characters in that game. Really? Yeah, it was kind of cool. Why am I not remembering that? I don't know. Did I play that game? Do you remember if I played that game? If you played that game for the Game Boy Color? I don't know. I don't know what you played for the Game Boy Color. I don't know what I did either. Fan-made games are by no means a new thing. Just this year alone, we've seen tons of fan-made Sonic games, with some being open-world, as well as ASMB games mashup of Super Mario and No Man's Sky, entitled Note Mario Sky. This wouldn't even be the first time we've seen the promise of a Legend of Zelda game, as for the past few years, popular YouTube content creator CryZenX has been creating all of Ocarina of Time using Unreal Engine 4. Short answer, it looks fucking incredible. It's amazing how engrossing the ga- gaming community can be. Even more touching to see these sort of fan projects popping up left and right. It's really telling of the influence these games have had on creative minds and the sort of climate the industry promotes. We both wrote fucking in our in our news things. Like, Dude, we're getting real edgy here. We don't really care, man. Wow. Yeah. We're gonna lose some sponsorships. Man. NC Seventeen cast. I was I was negotiating mm-hmm. with the the church across the way. Were you? About sponsoring us, the East Coast Believers, right? We just we, these, yeah, actually, the East Coast <laughs> Believers. We just got to give them a short shout out, maybe sing a few hymns. You know, I'm not singing any hymns for those sure? Okay, well, okay. So a lot. Uh, this is the thing, the argument that always comes up. I remember writing about uh, on the redherb.com. Check mm-hmm. that out, motherfucker. Uh, about that uh, Metroid Two, another Metroid Two remake mm-hmm. is what it was called, and it got taken down by Nintendo pretty much like day two. Yeah, and Somebody replied under, uh, commented on the article, and it's just like, well, what the fuck did you expect? You're going to play with somebody else's IP? Like, mm-hmm. it's destined. I don't even know why people do this. And I'm like, well, one, it's a labor of love. I think that's yeah. obvious. To both They're fun us. passion projects. Absolutely. I, of course, I, they know going in, like, this shit's going to get taken down. I'm going to get a and d or something's going to happen to mm-hmm. me. I think what it really is is that these are the perfect way in this day and age. It's like a working resume. Yeah. It's like, dude, 
someone's gonna pick you up. <laughs> like, especially if this like, stuff is like on YouTube, right? Like, somebody's gonna be like, "That's fucking cool." If that makes the news, like, you know, some stupid motherfuckers like us are talking about it, mm-hmm. and then maybe some other stupid motherfucker that's slightly more influential than us hears about it, and like, "Hey, by the way, uh, do you want to work on my mobile game or something?" This is a perfect way to get a job, yeah. man. Just do it. That's in this day and age, a degree carries less weight than just doing, doing the it. thing that you're supposed to be working toward. Yeah. There's so many avenues and sites now in terms of, like, putting your work out there, whether it's YouTube for, like, videos or music, um, SoundCloud, like, wherever you want to put it, people are going to find you one way or another, and you're going to get a deal. Yeah. So, awesome. And they made something cool. No, it's really cool. Yeah. I like that. I appreciate these guys. I do, too. You do you. Right? I have... In my head, been working on like a fan made Legends Ultra project for the past few years. Oh, you're trying to bring back game pitch? What's going on? No, <laughs> we're not gonna talk about it now. We, we, we but it's, it'll probably be a passion project that, if it ever does get off the ground, it'll be dashed within the year. Yeah? Yeah. Dash against the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> the rocks of fate. You, you are not my son. <laughs> you just toss beside and take him. <laughs> All right, moving on to the next bit, second to last. What's going on with your hair right now? I don't know. I just I ran my fingers through it and I just kind of fluffed up. A you kind of look like uh, Jim Carrey from Ace Ventura right now because like your hair is doing this like thing. Like looking at, look at like after having climbed out of a rhino, or this is like part one. Okay, part, part two one. is a rhino. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, classic. Yeah. Do you classic. like it? Does it? I love do it. You still want to look at me? Absolutely. Every okay. Day. Cool. Sweet. Okay. Moving on here. Yeah. After 10 years of development and delays, The Last Guardian finally goes gold. When Project Eco's third project, the uh that wow, that's weird. <laughs> when Project Eco's third project, The Last Guardian was pushed back again this past December, it was met with a shit ton of skepticism. With some some fans expecting the nearly decade-long product to be pushed back yet again and others doubting it would ever end development. But fans can finally rejoice. What was initially leaked by Sony Japan's producer Jun Yoshino in a tweet that read gone gold what up then quickly deleted it was followed shortly up by sony studios president himself on october 21st shuhei yoshida we love him he's a good guy shuhei shuhei yoshida he took to twitter and tried to take back the thunder stolen by yoshina who wanted to wanted to blow that load a little early i remember that was weird yeah (laughs) yoshida was all excitement as he tweeted quote i've waited a very long time to say this the last guardian has finally gone gold i'm so excited for all of you to finally experience it and there was like a little excited emoji with like chibi eyes and arms i like it um when a game goes gold it means that a game's primary development is finished and is ready to be pressed onto discs while this doesn't include day one patches or potential dlc it means that a physical copy in the least will be brought to retailers for you the fans granted as early tech demo- demos made fans a bit weary there still might be some work ahead for team eco if the game is in an ill form like some anticipate it being regardless the last garden is a sony exclusive and it is set to release on december 6 okay so my my initial reaction is uh that's a fucking lie it's, something's gonna happen. Mm. Like I, I know they believe that it went gold. Come out. Absolutely, <laughs> they've tricked themselves. But when they go this to like factory, dream. like just like a huge storm strikes the factory. <laughs> See, here's what's gonna happen. The Trico monster comes in exactly. and like, just disrupts the whole process. Here's what's gonna happen, eco fans, the world over. You're gonna be so excited. You're gonna get your copy of the game. You can see that beautiful blue case going on there. Okay, you're gonna crack it open. You're gonna open it. And there won't be a disc inside. You know what's going to be inside? It's going to be Roaches and Rojex. It's going to be an IOU. <laughs> That's all it's going to be in there. And then they're going to announce that you flip it over, announce a new delay. <laughs> That's what's going to happen to you. Okay? Don't believe this. It's all a lie. This game never existed. <laughs> it never existed. Not at all. What have we been seeing footage of? 
<laughs> We've just been seeing like FNBs. Oh my god. <laughs> it's all a lie, buddy. No, I don't think yeah. Shuhei would lie to us like that. Shuhei doesn't know. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't know he's a part of the conspiracy. All right? I'm telling you. Oh man, they're picking the big bucks to keep him quiet. <laughs> I love that, yeah, he, he looks like, you fucking delete your tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that he necessarily like forced him to. I bet he was just like, oh. he's like, I probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah, I don't know what happened. <laughs> but I just like the gone gold. What up? Yeah, I mean, we already talked about like what we our initial uh, expectations for it. Honestly, I I think it's not going to live up to that. There's no way a game that's been in development for ten years and yeah. has remained pretty much the same, especially from what we've seen from it. From PS3 to this, yeah, like conceptually, whereas like you know, Final Fantasy 15, it's jumped from verse 13 to 15. Mm-hmm. It's such a huge, just like well, your concept literally morphed and everything channels. about it, like combat system, story, right. all of it yeah. changed. There's no way that this game could live up to that. But if it does, fucking high fives all around. And if there's a game uh, disc in the actual box. And not just a photo of, like, Shuhei on a fucking raft drinking a martini. Let me tell you what, I, I'll be eating some shoe. Hey. Hey. Wait, what is the phrase? You gotta eat your foot? <laughs> <laughs> what, how's that go? You know I get my idioms all crossed. You really do. I don't know where you get them from. Oh, shit. I gotta get you, like, an idiom yeah. book for Christmas. To it just won't keep help. Them all in order. It, no, won't, it won't help. You'll just like... make new ones and start writing, like, on the letter notes in the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to catch God. a raptor by the toe. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Last bit of news here before the releases. <gasps> releases. Release me. Sony says console generations won't be going away anytime soon. Following the big reveal of PlayStation Pro back in August, Sony's Sean Layden said, quote, there will be many more PlayStations. It could be quite some time before we see them, though. Andrew House of Sony added, quote, we think that for a really substantial period of this time, this is a PS4 lineup with the PS4, PS4 Slim, and Pro. We're comfortable with that, end quote. During his technical presentation about the Pro this week, the lead system architect, Mark Cerny, revealed that he doesn't think that console generations are a thing of the past, though. Quote, we don't believe that generations are going away. They are a truly healthy thing for this industry and for the gaming community. It's just that the objectives for the PS4 are quite different than we imagined. End quote. He goes on to reveal that the Pro is uh, not the start of the new generation, and that is a good thing. It seemed clear that upon its reveal that the Pro is indeed not a new console iteration for the next generation of gaming, but more of an upgrade for high-end gaming gamers who have the need for 4K resolution support. Um, to add here on the end, um, an additional interview with Cerny conducted by Eurogamer Digital Foundry's Richard Ledbetter notes, I came away from my conversation with Cerny with the impression that PS5 will be a clean break, and it will be an actual generational leap as we know it. I think it's pretty easy for a console a console manufacturer to say that consoles are going away. <laughs> that they're never going to go away. <laughs> like big oil. Going around <laughs> saying, oh, you're always going to need oil, kids. <laughs> it, it almost seems like a redundant, unnecessary thing for them to yeah. say. But I think following what happened with the PS4, Pro, maybe it had a lot of people like turning heads and literally like, is that it? Is that your next console iteration? Really? And is, it, is that what had people going like, so we're done with consoles after this, huh? <laughs> no, but maybe people thought that that was the next big jump for Sony. You know, what the Scorpio will be mm-hmm. or what the Switch was to the Wii U. They thought right. it was like the next big jump. Whereas really, it's just kind of like an intermediary thing to add more support to an existing console. I mean, yeah, show me numbers that the console market isn't thriving mm-hmm. and then we can have that discussion about consoles going away. Yeah. I understand that we have what is considered disruptive media, especially mm-hmm. with like, you know, mobile games and digital downloads and whatnot, but it's, I mean, people like consoles. Yeah. There I mean, are consoles in every fucking household. Consoles are, now are selling faster than they did last generation. Mm-hmm. 
like that's incredible. Like the numbers, like what we're showing from PS4 and Xbox One combined, mm-hmm. like the, it's like holy shit. <laughs> People seem to really dig on this idea of yeah. home consoles, don't they? You know, and until like let's say PCs become super user friendly in that same kind of way, mm-hmm. which is kind of against the point of what PCs are, then I don't see consoles being disrupted like that. You know, I don't see it either. Um, but you know, of course, again, I could be eating a whole raptor's claw. Uh, five years from now, when there's no PS5, is that an expression? Eating the I'm pretty, pretty sure that's close to what Fuck. I was trying to go for. Uh, but it, we'll see. I mean, I like consoles. Like personally, I'm a consumer that will support consoles until they get dumb. Mm-hmm. Until it gets to the point where it's like, I don't see a point. But we I, both just got very excited about a new Nintendo console. We did. You know, something we didn't think would happen ever again. Right. So as long as that potential for iteration mm-hmm. and you, as long as they can get us excited, there you go. And if one company doesn't, I feel like another company will step in a way mm-hmm. and get us excited for their product. Right. Who, who would have thought fucking 15 years ago that Microsoft would have any skin in this game whatsoever, mm-hmm. you know? I hear um, Amazon now is actually trying to develop their own sort of gaming console. Interesting. Yeah. They've been trying to make some pretty big steps, like yeah, trying to get into gaming. Didn't they buy Twitch? Like, Twitch is theirs, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, can't say they're not, not smart for it. It, it was a good move. I would make the same moves. Yeah, especially I if I had like the means and the assets. If I had the means, I would have bought Twitch too. Like, dude, this is kind of where it's at right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bunch of people going, "What's up, everybody?" and screaming over uh, horror games. But yeah, I mean, it sounds great. There's a huge market for it for some reason. There's an absolutely huge market for it. All There's, right. Um, one thing before you get into the release thing that we did not mention. Yeah, we can do a quick mention. About Just it. a quick mention because we were talking about consoles. Hmm. Uh, it looks like we're not getting any new news about the Nintendo Switch this year. They mm. just announced that they're going to have a public kind of information overload okay. January 12th. So they Nintendo promised we're going to see a release date, we're going to see a price point, and we're going to see a launch lineup. So that that is the holy triumvirate of Nintendo Switch. So we were hearing beforehand that we weren't going to get any more news this year, which I was just like, that's kind of fucking weird, yeah. but... Nintendo's Nintendo, Nintendo does as Nintendo They does. do as they do. Exactly. I don't know if it's smart on their part, especially to like finally do a reveal like two months before the console itself. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, that's a bit tough. Like you want people playing it now, essentially. You want to put it in like, you know, Best Buy Best Buy Kiosks by, by January. Yeah. It's weird to not have any sort of stimuli or interaction with it before mm-hmm. the holiday season even. Right. I think it's gonna do like selling like uh, three months into the new year. I actually read a uh, projection, I think some analyst, or it might have been a Nintendo analyst, mm-hmm. who knows, said that they don't expect to sell more than 2 million units at launch, hmm. which is lower than what the Wii U sold, yeah. which is just like, huh, okay. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't know why you're are you going for the lowball estimate, but could be. It's just a weird time of the year to market a console. <clears throat> yeah, it is actually. Um, you want to... Fuck, why not follow the mold that PS4 and Xbox One did? Mm-hmm. Like, that seemed to have worked. Even if you're selling Xbox One numbers, you're still doing well. It's you're doing a lot better than Xbox One, or I'm sorry, the, the Wii U, my friend. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. I want, I do want to hear more. So they got me there. I can't say that I'm not interested. Yeah, I'm pretty fucking interested. I want to see what they come out with. Same. Yeah, make me wet. I'm already wet. I've been soaked for like a week. Is that what that? I haven't been able to dry off. Funk is yeah. <laughs> in the sounds. Is that what your hair doing there? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. The, the switch do. The Switch do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to just roll through these real quick because I want to get on this fucking topic, man. I want to 
I'd be scared. Are you hungry? Is that what's going on? No, I'm not hungry. I'm just ravenous for some terror. Okay. <laughs> oh, shit. The releases <laughs> for this week are, and these are just a few of the many that are coming out because I can't account for every bit of shovelware or games that I just don't care for. The World of Final Fantasy coming Good on man. October 25th, PS4 and Vita. Neat. Pretty cool. Uh, Ginger Beyond the Crystal, 1025, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. The fuck is that? Uh, I can actually pull this up real quick. I have like the Sony blog spot just kind of on standby, just for quick <laughs> references for things that I just didn't write out. Did you out. say Ginger Beyond the Crystal? Ginger, colon, Beyond the Crystal. Where is it? Okay. Okay. So it's not a ginger. No, no. This is, this is, look at the image here. It's like this weird like teardrop crystal looking guy. Could be a mascot for a new console. Generation. It looks like a new like <laughs> uh, Abe's Odyssey game. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I haven't seen an Odyssey game in forever. They did a, a remake very recently. It was free for hmm. PS4 as well. So from the, first game. from the PlayStation blog, a world destroyed by a crystal explosion, a mysterious threat hanging over its inhabitants, and a goddess who creates a hero. This is Ginger Beyond the Crystal. Ginger must establish the connection with the goddesses by purifying corrupted crystals that are spread throughout the world. It won't be easy. The worlds are full of enemies and traps across 15 different levels. Well, Ginger, nothing worth doing is easy. <laughs> All right, well, you've completely lost my interest in that one, but yep. thank you for No, I mean, I didn't mention somebody wants to play it. That, no, nope. No. <laughs> nope. Uh, next bit here, Snow, uh, coming to us October uh, 25th, PS4, Windows, game, right? OS X, X and Linux. Uh, it's an, the first open world snowboard game, though. No, the fuck it isn't. <laughs> SSX3. Was that open world? Yeah. In the same sense? I don't know what sense you're talking about. Like, you can't jack cars, <laughs> but you can, you can, uh, it's a, it's one continuous open world that you can even fast travel between. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I. It's all interconnected. I had a different thought in my head about it because I was reading oh, what the open world was. No, no. There, there was enough. Are we on Ginger still? It is. <laughs> <laughs> it is the only free to play open world. Oh, okay. That's what it. Yeah. That's a different thing. Yeah, I had I had it in my head that it was the only something, and I was yeah, like, it's totally, I was freaking the free to play part. I was like, you know, because we've made everything into an open world game. Yeah. We've made open world dating sims. We really have. Yeah. So, I don't know, it looks whatever. It looks like a fucking PS2 classic game. It doesn't look this very This is not impressive. the Ubisoft one, right? No. What, what was that? Was, wasn't that one like Slope? Or Slate? Or Sleet? Or Sleet? Something or with an S, right? Skis. Oh, it has to be. Look at that image, though. The dude just like fucking <laughs> skiing down a mountain with a snowflake. That is literally just a dude. Yeah. <laughs> Snowboarding. Yeah. Gets its point across. Boom. Not gonna buy Dark Souls 3 DLC. Ashes of Arendelle. Never PS4, Xbox One. Nope. We already talked about that. A Hard bit. pass. Yeah. I'm going to wait a little <laughs> bit to get it. I would wait. I think I, since I don't actually own the game, I might wait for like a game of the year edition mm-hmm. or special edition that has all the new DLC on it and then I'll jump back into the Dark Souls realm. So next fall. Probably. That's fine. Yeah. I feel like I'm so, I'm going to be so far away from the combat and the whole strategy of the game. It's going to take me a while to like I readjust. Was, I was uh, definitely knocking off some dust today. Yeah. Because there was such a learning curve initially. Yeah. But my character is so powerful. Like, I am uh, level 112. Jesus. I am fucking You're a level 112 warrior. The, they die in two hits. But the thing is, there's like 800 of them. And I was like, dude, if, I, if, I, if you took more than two hits, mm-hmm. I would fucking break the controller right now. Mm-hmm. But I'm, it's all fair. So fair. Fine. I'm going to play it over the weekend. Okay. Even cool. though I have this, you know, stupid trip to do. Uh, I hope you'll tell me about it then. Mm-hmm. We got some uh, PSVR games that, you know, we're not going to touch. Got a plug on that. We don't have one. We don't have one. We're not going to have one for a while. Christmas. Uh, what do we got here? We got yep. Carnival Games coming 1028 to PSVR. What the fuck? 
<laughs> Carnival Games brings uh, Carnival Games VR brings an immersive virtual reality experience allowing you to explore the park, interact with patrons, and play up to twelve different games. Enter a theme Carnival Alley where you can play a game and earn tickets for virtual prizes or unlock another game. Were we just talking on our NX episode? Mm-hmm. Or, I'm sorry, the Switch episode about how like they weren't showing us Carnival Games, and I was impressed by the fact. <laughs> But we're going to get a lot of these weird, as you call them, like, shovelware okay. games for VR, because it's, like, yeah. it's such an early demonstration of what it can do. Okay. Uh, we've got Tethered, coming on 1025 for PSVR. It's a strategy game where you inhabit a fantasy world and protect your peeps to help them prosper. So you do this by making sure they aren't killed by the evils of the night and they aren't driven to suicide if they are driven to absolute boredom. Oh my Use God. an on-screen cursor <laughs> by moving your head via VR headset tracking, and you initiate actions or tether them by pressing the cross button on the DualShock 4 pad. Uh, look at the trailer right now. Cool. Again, not gonna get it. Uh, also it's coming ten twenty five. We got Winland for PSVR. It's a first person grappling hook exploration game. Where is our um, Proctology VR? <laughs> when are we getting that? When are we getting the real? I want another like uh, trauma center game, but VR trauma center. Yeah, those awesome. are cool for like the yeah for the Wii. Yeah, yeah. no, there um, 3ds. No, there, there were for. Um, for the Wii, but I remember the ones initially for the DS. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. That would be cool. Those were hard. Yeah. Imagine you do, like, really mundane things initially, like, here's a, you know, a simple surgery, and then at the end of the game, you're fucking, like, dismantling bombs and, like, extracting, like, foreign diseases and, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's it's nuts the way that game escalates into the final chapters. I want to see, like, a choice-driven kind of, like, David Cage sort of game in okay. VR. That would be cool, where you have to, like, you know do those stupid prompts yourself. <laughs> you know, like, oh, shit, I got a duck. <laughs> shit, I've got a duck. Oh, my character died. Oh, my oh well. Last one for VR? Yeah, for Weeping VR. doll. Looks really creepy. <laughs> oh, yeah, I heard about <laughs> it. You heard about it? I'm like, what the fuck is... I, I can just read the card real quick on the PlayStation mod. It's an, order, an ordinary family, a beautiful sure. home. But who's crying? Look <laughs> 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 at Porcelain who's menace. Oh, God, she doesn't have hair. <laughs> who's crying? I'm going to look at a trailer. Search the home, scour every room, and scrutinize over every deal detail. How about no? To piece together that story has been kept locked away. No, keep it locked away. It's locked for a reason. I don't want to do any of that, man. <laughs> what the fuck? A beautiful home. <laughs> <laughs> a weeping doll. Yeah, no, you couldn't put that game in this front of This trailer isn't showing me anything. No. Oh, here we go. We got we got we got a house. Okay, we got a happy birthday. Got some birthday cake there. Sick. We got some cogs on the door for some reason. Kind of confused by that. Don't know what that means. They're opening a door right now. Okay. The cogs have opened a crazy door. Okay. Is that where the dolls in? Is the doll? Is it one doll? Is it a lot of dolls? Is it an army of dolls? Uh, I guess it's called a weeping doll, so it would just be one. It's a singular doll. <laughs> I am seeing one doll. It's Japanese, apparently. Okay. Okay. Good on them. Sick. Good on them. Uh, we got coming this Friday, uh, Dragon Ball Xenoverse 2. Yeah, PS4, Xbox One. I don't really play the Dragon Ball games. No. I used to like Budokai. That was a lot of fun. That That's the only one that people like. <laughs> can but I hear the Xenoverse uh, ones are really cool, and you can actually like create your own like Dragon Ball characters in this one. Have different skill sets and um, character types. So, Can you make a, a Dragon Gal? Maybe. Mm. Mm. Wow. Skyrim Remastered, PS4, Xbox One. Yep, includes all the DLC, Don Gar, uh, Dragonborn, and Hearthfire, as well as mod support for both Xbox One and PS4. Well, there should be an asterisk. Yeah, it's going to be limited for PS4. Yeah, and finally, the awesome Mech Craze Titanfall Two coming October twenty eighth. Is that happening the twenty eighth? Yeah. No wonder I'm seeing like early reviews. Oh, weird, weird early reviews. Weird how that would happen? Interesting. 
Gotcha. I've been hearing actually good things about the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, you played the beta, right? I played the beta, but that was like multiplayer, and I was like, okay, it's a lot like Titanfall 1. I mean, there's some changes here and there. It's fun. It's mm-hmm. fine. Uh, is it a day one for me? Hell no. I'm sorry. There's there's just too much going on right now. Yeah. Like I'm trying to finish that Tomb Raider. I'm for some reason playing Overwatch again. Mm-hmm. Don't know what spirit You're is possessing to do something me. With me. I, pretty much. I see you playing, and I'm just like, fuck, I, w- I want my friend back. You see me having fun, and then you see yeah. me go on these crazy like kill streaks. You're like, wow, that's kind of cool. I mean, I don't see you having fun. I see you being uh, pretty much possessed <laughs> by, <this fucking laughs> by the Overwatch game. machine. <laughs> no, yeah, you're, you're getting pretty ill with D.Va. That's why I was trying to get scrappy with her. Uh, you're I've, t- I've been pretty ill with D.Va. All right, man. I, Let I, me have I, I can't clean up your ego cum. <laughs> clean All right? Up. It's everywhere. <laughs> It smells it's oh, briny. God. Is briny the right word? See, I'm getting it. Yeah, no, because up. briny's like salty, right? I'm going with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but Titanfall 2 looks cool, but as I've said before on this show, it's a Black Friday game. <laughs> it's a game mm-hmm. you wait for a deal on, I think. That's fair. I'll pick it up for 40, no problem. I think it's interesting that um, it's got cross-console support now, whereas like I think for Titanfall 1 it was just Xbox, right? I thought it was Xbox and PC. Was it? Maybe. Hmm. I don't know. Well, I mean, console-wise. I didn't pay attention. It wasn't on PS3. It wasn't on PS4, no. You're right. came out on Xbox One. And 360, actually. Yeah. yeah. Weird. Because that was originally an Xbox 360 game. It was originally an Xbox One game. Was it? 360 edition came out uh, like a month after. Oh. Well, what the fuck do I know? I don't know, dude. I'm trying to figure out what you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're learning it as each episode goes. Like, how little I know and how much I stretch it yeah, to make yeah. myself seem like I know shit. It's okay. Okay. If we had like an Overwatch like podcast, I would just be sitting here like, yeah, I, yeah huh? I, I'm sure that's what Omnics do. <laughs> I'm sure that's what the whole fucking crisis I, is about. I'm not. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> kind of uncomfortable. I don't know who Gabriel Reyes is. Yeah. I don't know why you're in love with him. I don't. <laughs> what's? <laughs> Tell me more how they uh, tortured Widowmaker. Oh, she's on this quest for vengeance now. Really? Is that what's going on? It's a whole thing. Hmm. Yeah. You think they would put that in the game? No, they want you to find it in the comics <laughs> and all this other shit. Ah, that's too much. Yeah. Give me a special edition with everything in it. Instead of the Origins edition. What does it even mean? How is this the Origins edition? I, feel like oh, this... I know why. Okay, tell me. It comes with two skins. It comes with the Gabriel or... Reyes skin uh, and then the Jack Morrison skin. It was okay. John Morrison's Jack Morrison. Jack Morrison. Yeah, there you go. And the Tracer skin. And a few others. Is there a Tracer skin? Yeah. Ah. Whatever. Anyway, Kevin. Yeah, buddy. It's October. Favorite time of the year, man. Oh, fuck. I'm going to lose my shit. Takes off skin. <laughs> Takes off skin. It's time for pumpkins and hatred. <laughs> on this topic, buddy. Our topic today is spooky games. It's kind of an umbrella topic. It's kind of a... Ooh, I like that. Are you trying to make a, an allusion to... Uh, no. President, I don't, I don't you, want to allude to Resident Evil more than you weren't talking about it. Or you weren't talking about the games at all? No? Okay. It's, it's, are, are you sure? <laughs> I'm sure. Okay. okay, that was a pregnant pause. It was very pregnant. Um, <laughs> gonna birth it all over this table along with my bride and pop. the cockroach eggs. Well, how do we want to do this? We want to talk about our not necessarily like our favorite horror games because I think we we beat the same drum every episode. No episode has been about horror games, and yet if you've listened to more than one, you know that my favorite uh, horror game is Resident Evil, mm-hmm. if not my favorite game, and his is Dead Space. Right, that's your favorite yeah. horror game. You're not gonna fucking give me Shadow Man out of nowhere. Yeah, I'm not give you Slender Man or Shadow Man or Siren. Yeah, no. Siren. <laughs> nice. That was a great PS2 game. It really was. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So we want to talk about kind of like what works in horror games. What makes good horror? How can this genre get better as well? And to do that, we're going to kind of look back at some of like the memorable moments, things that worked for us back in the past. So uh, I'm going to skip a little bit of Resident Evil. I'm going to go. I'm going to go into it. Down the road, I guess. I, yeah, I will. Somehow I'm going to go back to it. I already feel it. I feel it. In fact, let's talk about it. No, I'm kidding. Um, so what makes good horror in a game? Because it, it, it's a different experience. It's interactive, which mm-hmm. is, I think, a huge leg up versus movies. Movies, you're just kind of like, all right, there's this kind of distance between what's going on on the mm-hmm. screen and where you're at. And it can make you feel tense. It can make you feel anxious. A lot of horror movies don't just because you're like, I don't give a fuck about the people that are on screen. But horror games have a different... It's just so much more immersive, yes. you know? You're in Silent Hill. You're in Raccoon City. You're in wherever the fuck the Evil Within took place. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, you got a hint for me <laughs> on that one? You didn't play that one, did you? No. Nah, that's okay. I think I saw you playing it and you were very unimpressed. No, it was this all is, right. This is before I had a PS4 and I'm like, oh, this is what we're working with for the next gen? Yeah, it was all right. Yeah. It was all right. So I want you to talk to me about some standout moments in horror. I, I, I got a few and... So I like to compare... Resident Evil and Silent Hill, I like to call them the um, Coca-Cola and Pepsi of survival horror. Okay. Because that's essentially what it is. They're both fucking carbonated beverages, Mm -hmm. but people will fight tooth and nail about which one is better. But when it comes down to, I think, the more... They're two different experiences. They are. They're two different brands of horror, where Resident Evil is more about being able to fight back, Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's a lot more... It kind of has this B-movie horror vibe to it. it, it in some cases, it, it ascends that. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's B-movie. Whereas Silent Hill is more of like this Jacob's yeah. Ladder, Stephen King. Like kinda, Japanese psychological horror. Cerebral kind yeah. of horror vibe. you know. But I would call it Pepsi because I think Coke is more ubiquitous. Okay. Resident Evil sells better, has, always has, mm-hmm. than Silent Hill. And Silent Hill has made a lot of missteps. you know. But Silent Hill... In its heyday, got it so right. It, it got creepy right. It, it had those moments. It knew how to pace its moments, too. It wasn't just like a bombardment of horror. No. And you weren't rolling from one boss fight to the next or one scary set piece to the next. No, like not at all. And I think a lot of things that make it work that make any good, any great horror game needs, there's this kind of, um, well, first of all, there there's this vulnerability mm-hmm. of the character. You know, you're not a fucking action hero. Let's no. take Silent Hill 2, for instance. You play as James, James Sutherland. Sutherland. Yeah. He is just a dude, by all accounts. Like, he's he's not a soldier. He is not formally trained with firearms, which is unlike Resident Evil. Most people, for some reason, uh, they know a gun like the back of their goddamn hand. Mm-hmm. And apparently are able to punch boulders and backflip out of the way of, like, fucking, I don't know... Uh, Traps and that series got away from that. what it started as. It has. It, it got so far away. We'll from get that. into that. Um, and it made you feel isolated too. You were alone, and you didn't know what was going on. And I think the fear of the unknown is so palpable in horror. I think that's the strongest thing. I think that's what I wanted to mention. The, that is the strongest characteristic for me. The unknown. The unknown. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen, and you you're not sure what you're fighting. These mm-hmm. weird creatures. There, there's nobody walking in and explaining what the fuck's no. going on. There's this mystique. As much as there's a veil over the town in the mist, like you are shrouded in mystery as he is. Right. Like you know, he goes back so there well. for Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not sure what the deal is. You're not sure if she's alive or if she's dead. You have the the sense that there's something off, though. Right. And even toward when you get towards like the final moments, like you're still not entirely sure. Like. 
you never really are sure. But no. And the thing is, it allows you to kind of take away your own conclusions about what the game is. Mm -hmm. And a lot of fans have decided that this version of Silent Hill, it's not a direct sequel to Part 1. It is, you are in Silent Hill, mm -hmm. essentially. But every person has their own Silent Hill. It's yeah. their own personal hell. And a lot of things that were he was seeing were manifestations of his own guilt, which you find out, not to get into huge spoilers, even yeah. though it's like a fucking 12, 13-year-old game at this point. Yeah. Uh, you find out why he feels guilty. You find out really what's the, the personal torture of this character. And I think mm -hmm. that, that's such an immersive thing to do. That's such a grounding element. Like The human element is so strong. and it need, I think good horror games need to be about vulnerable humans mm -hmm. you know they have to be imperfect they have to be unbalanced they can't be a fucking a hero and that's where resident evil lost its goddamn way mm. you know and you got the first game first resident evil game that fear of the unknown was still there because you didn't know why you were stuck in this fucking horror yeah. house full of zombies everywhere you just didn't understand what was like going umbrella on. wasn't a name to you yet nope. you don't understand the powers that are behind it orchestrating everything and the one thing that the the rest of the games lost there was this kind of unraveling mystery to that mm -hmm. as well you know, you kind of kept on going down the spiral, figuring out little tidbits like, wait a second, who is that? Mm. Isn't that my fucking boss? Isn't yeah. that Wesker? What's he doing in a lab coat? What is Umbrella Pharmaceutical? Like, what does that mean to you? You know, and you mm. start seeing that more and more as you get into the game. I love that about that. And that's something, of course, sequels just couldn't keep on with. You, know? you can say that about most first horror iterations in series. that They get that aspect mm -hmm. right first, but as it continues it's hard to kind of keep that mystique or magic because you already know what it is by that point you could say that about dead space as oh, well. for sure yeah like the first one didn't know what the fuck the marker was mm -hmm. or what was going on with it and then part two you're like okay I part see. two there's still you know some mystique to it you have mm -hmm. the unitologist coming in and wanting to do what they want to do with it and you're still not even sure what their means or want is from it but there's still this terror and then by three you get completely away from it yeah it's true um, but i want to mention in particular there there's just like this standout thing for me and so like, there's a lot of moments you know <laughs> Like, you got the, when you walk into the town for the first time, covered in fog, you mm. know, it's eerie as shit. But in Silent Hill 2, the first thing that got to me, and I think I, f I played this game first when I was maybe like 12. Um, I think I played it right when we moved in, so it was like 22 or 23. You played the remaster, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I couldn't get through it the first playthrough because I was kind of, I was unnerved. I was really terrified. I was like, yeah, you're playing like alone at night. I was playing like in the living room. I'm like, I don't think I can do this. I came back I, to it like five years ago. I generally tried to have someone around with me when I played Silent Hill because mm -hmm. unlike Resident Evil, like it genuinely unnerved me. Mm -hmm. Like there's something unnerving about like I can't see very far ahead of me. I'm in pitch black situations. There's this one part in the game. You walk into an apartment block and you're of course searching for clues. You're trying to figure out a way to progress and it is just blacked out in there. And every floor just looks like the paint was stripped off the goddamn walls. It's the first complex you go into. The first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you have this little radio with you, too. Mm -hmm. And that that instilled another sense of terror where you hear kind of noises coming yeah. in out of it. And frequencies as you get closer to these, like, these figures, these monstrosities. And you're like, uh. And that's another thing. <laughs> it's like, even if, like, you have a very typical enemy in a game, like mm -hmm. a zombie or, you know, a killer shark sorry i was watching flash last night mm. killer shark is for that character let's stray away from that like a zombie mm -hmm. and even if you know what it is you've seen it before if you take it off screen and if you just make us hear it from the distance that freaks us the fuck yeah. out anyway they hear that moan and not know where the fuck it's coming from like silent hill is so good at that like even though i've been bashing in the, like these nurse women's heads for like the last hour and a half the moment that i just hear that like in the distance, I'm like, okay, shit. Yeah. I want to go back into the room I just yeah, came out of. You got a nerve. So you're walking through this apartment thing, and I remember just getting kind of just 
bugged out and everything looked the same, mm-hmm. but that kind of played into it too. Where it's like, all right, I'm on level two now. The map says that, but no shit, it looks the same. And yeah. I'm hearing something, and every room I go into, I just hear this yeah. <laughs> sound. And it just intensifies as they get closer to you. Yeah, it, it was just so effective. It was so, it felt so uh, compressed, or I mean to say claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. And I was just so impressed by it too. I was just like, shit, I'm. There's, there hasn't been, like, a movie that did that to me in a while. And I was like, no. yeah. Because I had this whole horror kick when I was back, like, middle school, high school. I was fucking watching every horror movie under the sun. And just getting inundated with it and just inoc- uh, inoculated mm-hmm. to the fear of it. And Silent Hill was never about jump scares. It was never never no. did that shit. It, it, just, it was more like, I want to get into your head. Which I liked about it because it could have taken the cheap way out that a lot of newer franchises do where they really pander to jump scares and like yeah. noises like really scripted things but no they kind of get to you another way like they get in your head like you say they mm-hmm. unnerve you in ways the sound design really fucks with you too <laughs> yep sound well, design fucks with you just that whole world fucks with you because there, there's no ground there's no. no grounding to it you're like I don't have my feet firmly planted in something familiar this is something just turned upside down mm-hmm. and I think that's effective that, yeah. that needs to keep on going in games. I'm so surprised that there hasn't been another successful Silent Hill uh, in the last few years. I mean, yeah. I know they fucked up with Silent Hills, the the Hideo Kojima. Am I saying that right? I think yeah. <laughs> always... <laughs> You're still doubting it like eight episodes later. Like, you know what? We're just but gonna, even that demo, down. that demo was incredibly unnerving. It was. Like, holy shit. It went back to that feeling too because it was like, what the fuck is going on? No idea. And every time you go back through the hallways, like, it changes. Like, it's loop? so labyrinthian in this really weird oh, way. Oh my god, it was so good. <laughs> I'm just like, fuck, like, that's good horror, man, you know? And I do like that uh, Silent Hill, like, didn't disarm you completely, it, but it. the thing is that good horror needs to do, and I think games like The Last of Us understood this, too, is that you need to make encounters an ordeal. Mm-hmm. Make your characters weaker, give, give that sense of vulnerability, mm-hmm. and give me a weapon, give me a shotgun, mm-hmm. But give me two bullets. Yeah. Don't give me. Don't like, give me a rocket launcher or mm-hmm. like it's like an automatic weapon that I can just blow through a crowd with. Like right. That doesn't create an effective horror experience. It creates an action game. You make tense moments, and you also make the player feel fucking smart when mm-hmm. they get through these situations, and you make them feel resourceful that they got through using what they had around them. The Last of Us was like, you can use the environment around you. You, mm-hmm. you can start like, ah, oh, shit. There, here's a tin can. Let me pour some nails, and mm-hmm. there you go. I got a bomb. And every time you ran into a clicker or uh, its subsequent you know, mutations. Mm-hmm. The bloaters. The bloaters and whatnot. It was a thing, man. Yeah, they were tense, generally terrifying experiences that you sometimes didn't even want to fight your way through. You could choose to just avoid the situations altogether, like you can do in mm-hmm. a lot of horror And games. that's so important. I think that's the b- biggest distinction between, like, let's say, Resident Evil 4 and 5, mm-hmm. or even Dead Space 3, which is, like, when you get into an encounter, you're like, let's do this. Yeah. Like, you should never feel that in a horror game. Last of Us was like, let's not do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to do this. But you have to. That, there's that plunge where you just like you gotta grit your teeth and go through hell make me feel like I'm going through hell mm-hmm. that's good horror yeah I think so that's fucking fantastic um I've actually I was doing a little research I was looking at some articles like people were talking about like different components horror games need tension obviously mm-hmm. tension needs to be there I think Dead Space was really good at that especially yes. part one was great with tension mm-hmm. cause you always just felt like well you have to get into people's heads that something's gonna happen even if it doesn't, something's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. Yeah. You need to be on guard. You need to get people off kilter. 
You know, you can't make them ever feel safe. You can't make them feel like, well, I'm hiding behind this gun and I, you know, I, I can do this. No. You're not <laughs> even hiding behind like a, a standard weapon in that case either. It's like a plasma cutter. It's like a simple engineer hmm. tool that they turn into a weapon that doesn't shoot as fast as it could. And you're encountering enemies in very close quarters on the, the Ishimura, like this derelict ship, hmm. and you're just fighting your way through it and you don't know what to expect. You've never seen necromorphs before like this. You've never been told... Oh, don't just shoot them in the heads. Like dismember their limbs, and like when you shoot them in that way and dismember them, they almost morph into different like enemies, like because mm-hmm. they come at you differently. Like yeah, granted they're a little um, handicapped at that point, but still like they still lunge at you, they still come at you, and it still creates these moments of tension. Right. They, in each interaction with the necromorphs, it didn't feel like um, in like sections that you plow through. They felt like really thoughtful experiences that create tension and create horror. And I think in horror games especially. They are the hardest games to make because a lot of them are one and done. Yeah. They're, it, it's hard to scare someone the same way twice. Mm-hmm. And therefore, a lot of these games don't have replay, uh, replayability like that. I love it when games have these encounters mm-hmm. where it's like, I'm not going to face this the same way twice. Yeah. And either it be your agency or just the game's designed that way. Not, not, that, that it's, um, not to say that Left 4 Dead is specifically like horror horror like it's it's a horror based world and all that i don't find it that scary but there is an idea that's so brilliant which is the director system the ai system which changes the situation depending on how well you're doing or how well your team is doing if you're plowing through zombies like no fucking problem it's going to get harder. They're going to send those special zombies at you, or they're going to send bigger hordes at you. Mm-hmm. And it's totally different. Such a smart programming decision. Yeah. I would love to see more procedurally generated horror games where you're like, you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, you really don't know. There's no guy that's going to help you, man. No. <laughs> like, you're going to go through this set of rooms, and something completely different is going to happen this time. Yeah. I want to see more, like, because the fear of the unknown is the greatest fear That's that needs to be in more games. Yeah. You need to keep me uncertain. Let me, yeah. let me talk about the bridge from Dead Space 1 to 2, because I feel like yeah. sequels lose a lot of the steam. And the way they kind of kept the suspense and unknown going is they introduced new enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's a way to keep like horror games fresh. Introduce enemies that come at you a different way, that look horrifying, that you're not sure what you know their point is. You had the raptor-looking things that would run at you. You had like, the childlike enemies that were just like little manifestations of like children that would just come at you in hordes and masses. And you had a lot of action elements in that game, for sure. But you had bigger enemies, you had smarter enemies, and then you had um, a lot of what Silent Hill 2 did, where um, Isaac's suffering from effects of the marker, and he's going through psychological problems. So you're not sure, because it becomes um, a shaky narrative. You can't always trust Isaac's perspective on things. Especially when you go back to the Ishimura, like this, you have to go back to it to do something. I forgot exactly what the mission is there, but you go back to it. And it's quarantined, and he's suffering from like severe flashbacks through all of it, and that creates a whole other atmosphere of horror where you're revisiting the original nightmare while he's going through flashbacks and trauma. It's it was brilliant in a lot of ways the way they did that. They didn't necessarily shoulder on like jump scares, like you weren't hearing the same like vents like shooting out gas like you would in the first game or even later on. Like they relied on a lot of different techniques there. And yeah, the, like if you're gonna bridge the gap from one game into a sequel and make it feel fresh, you have to think of things like that. Yeah, I mean, it just you, at no point should you really let the player feel like they have a complete handle on the situation. Mm. They should always feel like, no, this is this is going off kilter, and mm. I'm I have to endure. It's called survival horror for yeah, a reason, for sure. You know, uh, a a phrase coined by Resident Evil. Hmm. Legacy, legacy. Capcom's greatest achievement. Now, that's not to say that this is great horror and whatnot, but I do like that you can use horror in different ways, just the same way the film can. Mm-hmm. You know, we, they don't all have to be fucking 
I was going to say Sixth Sense, but that's not really scary. Uh, they don't all have to be the Exorcist, you mm-hmm. know? We're allowed our Dawn of the Deads, you yeah. know? We're, we're allowed our fucking uh, Slither. Slither's one of my favorites, dude. And I love that video games do that, too. Like, yeah. Splatterhouse? The remake of Splatterhouse mm-hmm. is so good, actually. You rave about that game. I do rave about that game. I was like, dude, it's a good beat-em-up. It's fucking disgustingly That's gory. so gory. You're ripping out, like, demons' spines through their asshole. <laughs> Like, you are. I'm describing a thing you do in the game. It's just over the fucking top. And yet, it actually had a really decent story. But I, I don't mean to say, like, oh, yeah, dude, this this is like a Dead Space, Silent Hill kind No, 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 no. It had a dumb B-movie story, mm-hmm. but it took itself just seriously enough and was just competent enough to keep you, like, going. And I was like, fuck, this is actually good. I want to see more B-movie games, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, um... Evil Dead actually had a good few games back in the day. The first one was like a ripoff of Resident Evil, Silent Hill, okay. whatever. Throw that in the dustbin. But there's another game, and it's it does not hold up. It does not hold up the test of time, but it was called Evil Dead, A Fistful of Boomstick. <laughs> okay, it came out on Xbox and PS2. And you're going around Dearborn, Michigan, which mm-hmm. is, you know, the epitome of horror. A big dead-eyed outbreak goes on, and you're basically going around. It played like State of Emergency from back in the day. Do you remember that Rockstar no, game? I remember that game. Fuck, you gotta look that up. It was one of, it was when they were still in their shock factor mode okay. before they became a dev, yeah. <laughs> essentially. Um, now you go around you blasting zombies you, you, with your chainsaw arm and you get upgrades to your chainsaw hand where you can get like a diamond encrusted blades <laughs> that cut through deadites and shit. Nice. And, and then they made a very good sequel to that game called Evil Dead uh, Regeneration. Hmm. Or Degeneration. No, it was Regeneration. And that shit was so good. Such a good callback to the movies. And I'm just like, dude, Ash vs. Evil Dead. We were just watching it, me and Morgan. Mm-hmm. Um, God damn, it's a good series. I was like, yeah, you're talking about it. This could be like a great like $20 to $30 like just hack and slash fucking horror house sort of game. You mm-hmm. know, I was like, dude, just give me these smaller increments. And one thing about horror today where, you know, it's harder to scare people in one big sitting. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about it before where Alien Isolation great it's a great game yeah and they got horror right like an ai enemy just a vastly intelligent uh artificial intelligence like that going around stalking you hunting you and adapting to your gameplay yeah that's a good way to put some replay value to it but unfortunately the the game's so long that it becomes like a bit just too much of an endurance trial yeah you know i was just like this is too much you can't you can't do something like that sometimes bite-sized horror makes sense like outlast made sense Mm because it was a shorter game you know uh i would love to see games try to go for more episodic uh or Mm -hmm. horror horror games to go more episodic that'd be cool usually i'm against episodic but i was like maybe give us different perspectives of like the same event let's say like a serial killer is like you know bombarding a town and you get to play as different survivors and different elements and, and see different ways of like the same night he came home kind of shit mm-hmm. you know if they did like a Halloween game like that would be fucking rad you know and then like yeah give them bite sized morsels and you know like I, I would be down for like two hours of a horror yeah, game yeah that'd be know? something else actually like shit this is fucking great you know or Telltale taking on a horror game or something like I that I think the closest thing we got to that was Until Dawn Until Dawn because it was it was sectioned off into episodes. They made it feel yeah, very episodic, even true. though it was all self-contained on one disc. And that worked, actually, because I would kind of, like, shut off after an episode. Mm-hmm. You're like, all right, I'm going to move on, like, or come back to it later. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. In fact, I think Until Dawn would have done way better if they went episodic. Yeah, I really did. I think if they were offering maybe, like, seven bucks an episode, something like that, or a season pass, mm-hmm. I think that game would have would have hit uh, the right audience. But they marketed it as a $60 game, and actually they didn't market it very well. No, they didn't. Because they, I... Uh, 
I think the PS I Love You Boys keep on saying that like Sony did not expect it to be as good of a game as it was. Mm-hmm. And while I don't, I'm not going to uh, evangelize that game as much as they do, because I'm just like, it was okay. Yeah, it was okay. I think because Telltale and uh, Beyond Two Souls and games like that burned me out already. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of the same things. But at the same time, like thinking about it, I was like, when I was thinking about it more in terms of a survival horror game mm-hmm. than one of those choose-your-own-adventure games... I was actually having a way better time because I was just like... You just kind of changed your perspective about it. It was around the halfway mark, and you know where that halfway mark is because at first it's this dumb serial killer thing in, mm-hmm. the, in the cabin in the woods, bullshit. And it feels like your standard like popcorn munching so horror So standard, movie. and I was just like, that's so disappointing because this game looks fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm. I always believe in horror games, and this is so important, is the devil is in the details. Mm-hmm. You need to see the paint chipping off the walls. You need to see great lighting effects. You need to see a candle swing in the wind. These details add up because when things are moving subtly in the background, you notice. Mm. Like, you go, oh, shit. <laughs> like, it, it fucking messes with you. And until Don got that so well, I was just like, fuck, it's, this is a beautiful game. I love walking around these characters. It even has some of the tank yeah. controls when it does let me play and not a cutscene, you know? But for me, everything that game, I'm not going to, like, how not and criticize you, but no. every, everything got right in the horror department. It also just kind of got wrong. Like for every good thing it did, there was a bad thing for me. Right, like I said, like the second half of that game was way better, but became a monster movie. And I was just like, it should have been a monster movie the whole time. It tried to do too much. It tried to be like a slasher game, then tried to be like yeah. a weird paranormal, like exorcist type thing, and then it tried to be like you know a monster thing. It's like I understand what they were doing with it, but yeah, trying to throw every trope. Yeah, it was too. It was too tropey, and you had these very generic tropey characters. I was like, keep with one trope. Yeah, to be honest with you, like it, you needed that focus. But I think that game would have benefited way more, like I said, as a smaller experience Mm -hmm. or or maybe a segmented experience. You know, and it it was ambitious and it did play well for what it was. I Mm -hmm. feel like the quick time events and the tank controls played heavily in its favor. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you said, the little details Mm -hmm. went a long way, especially like in the element of being secluded, like in a mountaintop in, like, Washington, you have these really cool settings, too, about it. Like, you go, like, to an abandoned asylum, and you're like, I don't know what the fuck happened here. Those are some of the best parts. Yeah. Where I'm just, like, trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Mm -hmm. But then it would cut back to this stupid serial killer bullshit, and I'm bored by that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was just, like, it it was uneven for me in the story department, you know? But, again, like, it might have been better segmented. Mm -hmm. It might have been way better that way. Um, What are some other notable horror experiences in your life, sir? I haven't played nearly as many horror games as you have. Mm. I play uh, a lot. I, I was late to that game because I didn't really start playing horror games until... Mm-hmm. Like, I played Siren and I played some of the Clock Tower games um, growing up and I never got too far into them. I just played them just because my friends were. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like when I was 19 or 20, I tried to play uh, the Resident Evil remaster, and mm-hmm. I was unnerved by it. I couldn't get too far, so I jumped over to Resident Evil 4, which is a completely different experience. It's, it's where the series is now, basically. Yeah. It's tense, uh, but it's not scary. Yeah. Really. But then after I beat it, Resident Evil 4, that is, I went back to the original Resident Evil, and that was probably one of the first true horror experiences that I got in totality. Um and that was great from start to finish because I, di- I didn't know too much about the world. I knew there were zombies, but, you know, I didn't know about Umbrella. I didn't know about a lot of the bigger parts in play there mm-hmm. or the inner workings. And there were... To throw, like, puzzle elements like that in a, in a really hard survival horror game, it made it a little more tense for me because I'm like, oh, i got to search for these fucking things. I don't even know what they're going to do, but also you want to throw zombies at me. Right. Suddenly like, you have to go to, like, another side of the manor. Yeah. That you don't want to fucking visit that I, I side. I don't want to go over there. <laughs> yeah. 
I and don't want to go into the graveyard part. No. Like, I don't understand why you want me to do that, but now i got to walk into this fucking cabin that's yeah. like not even attached to the like, house. And you get you yeah. get comfortable in the areas that you're right. in, and they're like, nope, we got to put you somewhere else. And I'm like, no, keep me where I was. I, like, I'm clinging to these elements of comfort. I think a lot of people are just like, they, they consider like these puzzles arbitrary mm-hmm. in a lot of these games, and I think Silent Hill did some of the puzzles like the worst. Like they're, yeah. they're a little too like, um, this doesn't fit what's going on. And you can actually increase the difficulty of the game and the puzzle even thing. more. So suddenly you're fucking doing algebra in yeah. the middle of you're like, excuse me, there, I know there's a, uh, a pyramid-headed rape monster waiting outside <laughs> the door and he wants to cleave me in half, but excuse me, sir. Well, I figure out this algorithm to unlock the safe. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and then the, it just doesn't make sense to me, but I think... Resident Evil got it right in its earlier editions because it was kind of a bait and switch. I remember this one moment. Um, I think it was like in the B scenario of Resident Evil 2. We mm-hmm. talked about B scenario before. Um, you're walking into this one room in the police department, and it's such a weird place. I love that game because like there's a nightmare logic to it, mm-hmm. you know, where you're supposed to be in a police station, but it doesn't look like it serves very well as a police station. Mm-hmm. It, I, I think it's in a renovated library, and a lot of it being a library is still there it's like this giant ornate almost museum like mm-hmm. place and uh the police what do you call it? the police captain or the, the chief of police is fucking off kilter he's on umbrella's pay he's on the uptake he's been using it to buy these weird statues that he's been putting all over the place so mm-hmm. it gives us this kind of archaic like i'm like i'm back in a mansion but there's something like so like it's like a splice and it's something exactly your dreams would do mm. Which is like, I, 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 that game does not get enough credit. You know, I was like, that's something that would happen to me in a dream where I'd be walking and like, this looks like my old house in Miami Beach, but there's a fucking roller coaster in the backyard. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> yeah. but you accept it. Exactly. And that's what Resident Evil 2 did. So you're walking in into this one like uh, storage area where there's these two giant ornate statues and you have to put uh, these fucking jewels in their chest to unlock a puzzle, which mm. the fuck am I doing? But it's kind of a bait and switch. You know, the, the game has you like, fucking uh, managing your inventory. You only got six slots. I got to hold on to this jewel. I got to make sure I have bullets, one gun at least. Oh, mm-hmm. I got this fucking key that opens the door that I got into the goddamn thing. You got this all this shit going on in your head. And what happens is when I put in the thing and got a new key, I'm like, awesome, cool, and walk out. There's this big atrium on mm-hmm. top and a fucking one of those liquor sons of bitches, this inside-out human with an impossibly long tongue that can cut you in half just come bursting through and I remember just jumping so fucking hard and not because like you know I couldn't take the scare or whatever literally my mind was somewhere else the fucking game the game mechanics were serving to distract me (laughs) and I was like that's so that's interesting you don't see many games like that do that not anymore you do the puzzle and then you like fight an enemy or you fight an enemy there's a moment of relief okay i solve a puzzle never in the middle are you attacked like that right and if if you are then i might be wrong and it's it's fucking with me while i'm trying to do this order of operations Mm -hmm. and i was just like god damn i love horror games like just you need to keep the players unbalanced at all times it can't just be this empty fucking Mm -hmm. resident evil would have sucked if it was an empty house where i'm just mowing down zombies and i think that's what sucks about five and six especially Mm -hmm. Where, like, there's not much going out. There's not much going on besides, oh, we're in another room. Let's kill things until we get to the next room. That's mm-hmm. where it fucking fails. I'm so glad to see what Part 7 is doing. Yeah. Part 7 is going cool. back to that devil in the details, isolationist. It, everything we're talking about, it looks like it's doing. Yeah. And people are still being fucking skeptical and hard on it. And I'm just like, I don't know, dudes. It sounds like they listened finally. I mean, it, I it looks like they listened. But. 
God. So I knew we would get back to Resident Evil. Oh my God. Yeah. So this is my my earliest moments <laughs> with horror. Um, I would say even before then, not a horror game, but Ocarina of Time with the Rededs. <laughs> like when you go to like the Kakariko uh, graveyard and you have to actually like push one of the tombs and you go like into the ground. Like there are these Rededs that you haven't really encountered at that point and they're unnerving because like you are doing your own thing and they're doing their own thing. And the, when you get to them, they kind of scream at you and they paralyze you and then they come towards you. And the only way to really avoid them is like not look at them or run past them. In, like intervals and that was like one of the first things where i'm like oh wow this is a horror element and like kind of like an action rpg type game and mm. I, I wasn't expecting it i so, love it i love it when games do yeah that, that took me like, off balance this is not necessarily a horror game mm. but they have these like unnerving moments because i think especially for ocarina it's like a lot of our uh, films from our childhood would do stuff like that mm-hmm. would come at you out of nowhere like the goonies and just fucking freak you out with like just one particular thing Mm -hmm. i love that ocarina did that i always remember that part too where you're going down into the it's raining in that graveyard it's so fucking weird and the re-deads they don't die easy they fucking cling on to you suck the life out of you what (laughs) you know and then later on you can play songs that make them dance and (laughs) wear masks that make them dance but you know that's in majora's mask yeah, I was like, I didn't get that far. What the fuck? Yeah, no. <laughs> I, was like, I don't but, remember that in Ocarina. But the, your first encounter with them yeah. in that that game in particular, it's like, holy shit, I don't want to be in this grave anymore. I don't care what I need to get here. I don't care what item it is, what song. I don't give a shit. I got to get out. <laughs> I want to go <laughs> hang out with Malin and drink milk. <laughs> <laughs> please, please. I just want to rock myself back and forth. Oh, oh, and in Ocarina, the, the skeleton family. That shit fucked me up. Do you mm-hmm. remember know what yeah. I'm talking about? Were there in that? What were they called? The Skeletas or something? Oh, the Skeletulas. Sure. They're this whole family that's been turned by a curse. They're basically like spider people, and you have to like collect the tokens to revive them to their original. And state. they have like weird human faces, yeah, but they're they like super spiders. disfigured. Like, that shit wanted me. I wanted to puke. <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, <laughs> I wanted to play songs and like <laughs> just get out of there and forget the trauma. Run away I, with your puke-filled ocarina. I never finished their fucking side quest. Yeah. Honestly, I was like, you're fucking on your own, guys. <laughs> like, you, you, you stay you. I, oh, my God. And they said they were like that for like 100 years or yeah. some shit. Oh How are you surviving? Who's feeding you? That shit's messed. I want to see more of that. In games, you know, games try too hard to like just gross you out. Mm. I was like, make me fucking a nerve. Like, yeah. give me a concept that just crawls under my skin and starts nibbling at my flesh. Like, do something like that. And so, because it exists like in this very like otherwise jovial village, you know, like, like, <laughs> really they try to do their own thing and they're trying to put this village together. And there's this fucking <coughs> house inhabited by half like skeletal, half like spider people. It's I've always been attracted to that, like the the seedy <laughs> underbelly of like. What is the innocent facade, you know, at face value? I love that kind of shit. I want more games that like dig under the surface like yeah. that, you know. And that don't don't try to don't don't just do the whole like everything's at night and you're gonna have to shoot things in the head. Like no, nah, man, give me give us newer experiences, more interesting experience. And we're telling you to look at the older games that weren't even horror. Yeah. To fucking like everything's inspiration for a scary story. That's true. You know. Uh, I would love to see different kinds of things. Like I remember, I was looking through the history of like horror games, and one of the first ones mentioned was something for like, I think it was the Atari or something else, where essentially you're just a dude and you're thrown into a giant maze, mm-hmm. and there's a T Rex chasing <laughs> you, and it's like an adventure game, and it gives you prompts where like Rex is hungry, <laughs> there's something around the corner. <laughs> I fucking love it. I love that concept. Like, make me a game today. I'll give you twenty five bucks. 
right now for like a fucking modern day version of like a man <laughs> like maze runnering through this fucking place <laughs> being chased by like a by a Tyrannosaurus <laughs> Rex holy shit that sounds awesome that does sound pretty cool I also want to give a special shout out before we wrap this up Dino Crisis Dino Crisis was so good you know I love dinosaurs I love horror they mix my two favorite things they yeah. made a, a, a peanut butter cup of horror <laughs> action horror. and dinosaurs horror action and dinosaurs I like it it was so I you know I always thought dinosaurs were so cool that game made me think maybe they're not so cool <laughs> maybe these some bitches ain't so cool <laughs> love Dino Crisis I, I don't know why we never revisited that game hmm. you know I know part two uh, turned into action more action and then part three just went batshit insane put in space gave us inside out dinosaurs oh, I don't know what the fuck they're doing but Capcom bring it back Come on, bring it back. You, if you can make 12 different Dead Risings, you, you can make a fucking new Dino Crisis. <laughs> That's true. Okay? So, do you feel that horror games as a whole suffer from the same thing that like horror movies suffer as? Where like you get a, a first good entry into a franchise that sets the bar really high, and then everything subsequently after kind of just falls short? I think the biggest problem, um, because obviously there's been examples where a sequel in a horror franchise honestly perfects a lot of the problems mm. the first game had, or takes the concept elsewhere, where yeah. I think... Uh, Resident Evil 2, Silent Hill 2, Dead, Dead Space, Space 2. 2 is like my holy trinity of mm-hmm. like, damn, these are, I honestly believe these are better than the original games. What happens is as a publisher, mm-hmm. the publisher comes in and goes, okay, you're starting to cost us a little bit of money uh, making these games, and you're not making Call of Duty numbers. You know, it always comes down to that perception. I, I don't want to use Call of Duty as an example, but there's still, you know, there's that whole, you should be selling better because now you're a franchise, you know, and then they come in and start saying things like, throw some co-op in your game. Mm-hmm. Dead Space 3 did not need co-op. No. Did not need co-op. Fucking hurt that experience. It did. You know? And in the end, we talk about this all the time, they ended up marketing that as like an action sci-fi horror game where it's like, it felt so far removed from what it started as in a lot of ways. Yeah. I guess like you said, it increases the marketability. EA had a huge hand in pushing it that way. Yeah. And it it threw that uh, whole franchise in the icebox because of that shit. You know? When honestly, we just needed another two or take us somewhere else with that concept. Yeah. You know, like that. I, I think we can. There are other planets. There are time. other markers. Right. Absolutely. There's more you can do with that concept. Like, a, people are hungry for it, man, and people still talk about it this day. We're talking about it still. We are. Dead I Space feel, affected us. I feel like Dead Space Extraction, which is a rail shooter, did more for the horror in that game than <clears throat> Dead Space Three even bothered to touch. Yeah. <laughs> like my God. And you know, uh, I know Resident Evil's doing an about face. I want to see Silent Hill have that return to the throne mm-hmm. as well. Bring back Pepsi, man. Or dare to be Mountain Dew. Sure. Be Code Red. Be Oh, my God. Right. You're going nuts. I'm going fucking crazy. Because <clears throat> it had like a, a successive number of just middling sequels. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Homecoming was kind of unimpressive. Downpour. Uh, Downpour was just kind of there. Mm-hmm. There's another one. Four was kind of weird. Oh, the Four was kind of cool, but... It, it went too far away from, like, what we really liked. It, yeah. it tried introducing all kinds of weird shit. Like, ghosts were, like, a huge part of that, too. And I was, like, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> not ghosts. I'll accept specters, but not ghosts, sir. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the problem is it's hard to make a scary game twice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's hard to continue maintaining as a business model. Sure. Horror games, like horror movies, it's more of a niche market. They don't really sell as well. It is a niche market. And you, know? you, can't you have, to, those you have to market them in a lot of ways as like M-rated games sometimes and those mm-hmm. don't sell as well. Nope. So. M-rated. I mean, 
like I said, I, I, I feel like we have the perfect platforms for a lot of these horror games that some titles are taking advantage of, mm-hmm. but we need to see more kind of flooding it through. Like, you know, PSN, PSN, Xbox Live, Arcade, or whatever the fuck they call it nowadays, because mm-hmm. I think they abandoned the arcade name. I think so. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, the four bots that listen to us. But that's a perfect place. Like I said, maybe you try some episodic shit. You know, try some new shit. Try smaller experiences. I, I see plenty of games like Layers of Fear mm-hmm. and you know Amnesia coming to the console, like doing that kind of shit. I'm just like, please, I, I want to see more experimental horror. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, start looking at these old school games and what made them work. You know, stop giving us Amnesia and Outlast clones. I'm tired of the I can't fight back game mm-hmm. and that being the only way that you know how to scare us anymore like there's other ways to unnerve us there's other ways to freak us out yeah you know the alan wake was such a good example of it too where it's like they took the idea of like this kind of twins peaky mm-hmm. stephen king-ish idea where you're a novelist and you're novel you go to a small uh, kind of rural town mm-hmm. kind of a coastal town and your newest manuscript starts coming to life essentially and he's fighting these fucking crazy shadow men that are walking around that you can only hurt when you use an excessive amount of light. <laughs> like, you have to, like, you know, you throw flares or you have a flashlight that literally has this kind of, like, um, like bright feature on mm-hmm. it. And when you pinpoint that at, like, their head and stuff, you kind of see them go, and then it's, it, like, sizzling and they yeah, explode. It shatters their first layer, and then you can shoot them with a gun and harm them. And I was just like, that's such an inventive, like, horror game. Yeah. That wasn't necessarily, like, trying to just be outright shock gore yeah. shit. And it wasn't trying to be, like, let's take all of the power away from you. It was like, no, man, it was a fun game still, and it still kind of fucked me up a little mm. bit. We need games like that. Another one, Eternal Darkness. Oh, my God. Yeah, we went this whole thing without mentioning Eternal Darkness. How could you, you not? Like, it's a GameCube classic. It is a GameCube classic. And I honestly, I still think it's underrated. I know a lot of people, like you know, like us, the hardcore, know what the fuck it was. But mm-hmm. when I try to talk this to like, just an average dude uh, this day and age, be like, hey, man, Eternal Darkness. I'll be like, what? What was what? that? Is that like a Nine Inch Nails album? What are you talking about? Fuck. <laughs> no, Eternal Darkness was a GameCube game, and I think that's a lot of the problem right there. Yeah. Like, the game probably should have come out with PS2. It, it might have hit a wider audience because, I mean, PS2, it's like the highest selling console of all time. What, second to the Wii, maybe? I think so. I think they're neck and neck. Yeah. Um, again, we don't like fact checking. <laughs> <laughs> We're not an IGN. Fuck yeah. it. But Eternal Darkness had some great conceits. It kind of played a little bit like Resident Evil, but it had a heavier focus on melee, mm-hmm. and it was uh, rooted deeply in this Lovecraftian kind of style. And you, another cool thing that kind of got me engrossed was it followed several different generations of the same family and mm-hmm. people related to this family. I think the the Rovis family or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you're you're kind of in as this modern day uh, female protagonist, and she's learning about what happened to her grandfather. It looked like a suicide, but you know most people don't eviscerate themselves in a suicide. Yeah. And so it had all these kind of creepy conceits when she starts researching around the, the family manor and she starts reading these tales about monsters and uh, this fucking, this Roman, this Roman demon that essentially has risen and is like kind of controlling this family and then going through the ages. But essentially the gameplay boiled down to you can aim certain body parts. You can aim at like there's these creatures that would come up. It would be 
mostly zombie like just dead corpses and they were hard to kill. And they I think were. that's something that's like so important in horror games. Make these fuckers hard to kill. That's yeah. what's scary. Not that they can mow through them. They're like, oh shit, I really gotta plan out this encounter. Yeah. So you can cut off their limbs and you can cut off their head. But if these things lock eyes with you, there is a meter on the side of the screen that slowly fills up. The this, sanity meter. The sanity meter. And when it fills up completely, you, humble player, start to hallucinate. And you making the, it making it so much more unnerving. And you get you see a huge range of fucked up shit. It's things that I remember personally, because I remember seeing like YouTube videos of shit and was like, I never got that. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea. Where you would suddenly start to see flies on the screen, depending on like if you were halfway, you would see some shit. Mm-hmm. If you were all the way, you were in for it. It's out of like twenty. Oh my god. You would start seeing flies form on the screen, and sometimes they would just cover the screen. You would sometimes walk into a room, and everything would be upside down, and you walk a few steps, and your head would fucking explode. I remember that. That was like the worst one. <laughs> I was just like, what's going on? You would, it would sometimes fuck with you, the player, not just the world that you're inhabiting. Sometimes it would say that the memory card was getting fucking wiped. Yep. <laughs> that was a great one. Terrifying. Like, holy shit. We like, what are you talking <laughs> The screen would go fucking black, and my favorite one, that was just like, what the fuck? Fuck, who would even think of this? You would see a literal uh, volume bar on the bottom of the screen start lowering and go all the way in the mute. And you have to play the room without any sound. And I was like, you sons of bitches. So brilliant on a lot of different levels. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is going on? I literally got up and started messing with it. You know? Because like, I was like maybe 10 or something when I played this mm-hmm. game. 10, 12, 13, whatever. It's all the same age to me. And this game was just fucked with you in so many different ways. But it, it, it could, though. It wasn't just a gimmick. It had a strong foundation for that game, and I'm so surprised that Silicon Knights didn't go on to do great things, but a lot of that had to do with their shitty fucking founder, yeah. Dennis Dyack. We talked about him before. Um, I, I really did want to see that series continue. I really did want to see more out of that, and I do want to see a lot more, uh, a lot of developers learn from that game in specific and mm-hmm. try to take from it. Stop making your shitty fucking Space Marine clone... <laughs> right, we don't need any more of those co-op centric online shooter. We don't bullshit. need any more straight zombie games. Like we have right. so many of those. Like it's so oversaturated. Like give us a new experience. Give us cool design conceits, great level design, sound, and innovative things like that. Like yeah. that. no game does shit like that. No, it doesn't. And I'm just kind of confused. Why yeah. the fuck not? Like I, I don't understand why that wasn't something. You know, you see games playing with like you know the dark and and you know you you having to use a flashlight and stuff like that. I'm like yeah, that's cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Like just fuck with me. Yeah. You know, horror games should fuck with me. Much like I want my horror movies to do. Exactly. Right. I want more. Make me vulnerable. I want more. Maybe we'll get more. We will. I want a game in the woods. All in the woods. Mm-hmm. Like Blair Witch style. I was thinking about a game like yeah, that. Yeah, that would be fucking neat. I need a little bit more of that action, you know? That'd be cool. You know, like, you're, you don't know if you're, like you're just exposed circles. to the elements. Oh, yeah. Just exposed to the elements. You have to worry about, like, your own survival. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, eating and hunting and shit. And then, like, you hear shit. Like, it should... Do, honestly, there should be a Blair Witch game where the daytimes are kind of even and smooth, mm-hmm. and the nighttime is, like, the worst time. Like, the daytime with. is meant for prepping for surviving the night, Basically. That would be fucking cool. Yeah. And while you're trying to, like... It would be all about trying to progress to a certain point, whether it be that weird house mm-hmm. where everything went down, like in Blair Witch. Yeah. We're just using Blair Witch as a mold, but that would be fucking cool. I would really be down with that game where it's like, all right, man, you got to use your wits and your surroundings and keep on going. And, like, you'd see how much you can, like, basically progress day by day. And that's how you beat the game. (laughs) Yeah, that would be I would fuck with that. I would fuck with that pretty hard, man. I would. See, we had ideas. We do. 
let me tell you about a T-Rex in a maze. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think there's something there. Really. Exactly. I really do. <laughs> we got to go back to this shit. We should. You know, come on. You know, and bring back some old horror franchises. The Suffering was fucking cool. I was telling you about that. You were. I won't waste any more time. We're already at the two-hour mark, I see here. Yeah. As we always do. Always. And I got a flight in, uh, I got to be at the airport in two hours. <laughs> You're not going to sleep. No, dude. What the fuck? <laughs> the last time we did this, you had such a miserable time at the show that you went to. I forgot which one it was. I forget. It might have been TwitchCon. It was, yeah, it was pretty know. recently where, like, we stayed up all night. I don't Slip know. all night, recorded, and then I was like, okay. Didn't no, we didn't sleep. record. We were, like, gaming or something. And then you left. Even better. <laughs> <laughs> Even fucking better. And I think you had to prep the show by yeah. yourself because the guy you were working with, like, didn't come for the setup day. And you do all of it by yourself. And then it was just Oh, cool, like, yeah. What the fuck? What, what day was that? What show was that? They all blend in together. I just, yeah. I don't even think about it anymore. Yeah. I just fucking do it. I, I, thought that, I thought that was the show you did with Maz, but... Maybe. It might have been girl. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do uh, it technically today. <laughs> I, I, do, I do not know. I have to set up this show by myself. I have a 10 by 10 um, flying to San Antonio, Alamo City Comic Con. Remember the Alamo City Comic Con. Remember. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I, I expect it to be strenuous today because yeah. I'm not going to sleep at all unless, you know, whatever I get, whatever sleep I get on the plane, I might slam one of these Cokes so I can have a nice sugar crash later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's so effective, dude. Yeah, it really is. Like, yeah, have a good one. I'll have a Coke and then 30 minutes later I'm falling asleep. Yeah. <laughs> God damn, it's 2 a.m., my God. Well, let's cap it off. All right. Because <laughs> I need to fuck. Yeah, you got to get to bed. <laughs> all right. It's been good. I have been Kevin. And I am always in Daniel. And this has been The Save Room, Episode 7.